Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is dedicated to the homies that was down since day one. Welcome to Drop D. Welcome to Quick Hits, a JFK assassination news and notes podcast with your hosts, Bob Clark and Doug Campbell. Hey, 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 what is up, everybody, and welcome to Quick Hits, a JFK assassination research news and notes podcast with me, Doug Campbell, and the other 50% of your hosts, my good friend, the man, Big Bad Bob himself, Rob Clark. What up, Rob? What's going on, buddy? What's up, Doug? Once again, it's a it's a pleasure to be here with you. It's been too long, entirely too long. Too long, man. I had to go to the beach for a little while. Had to do that. Uh, took a little break. Damn runners. Yeah, didn't do. I pulled a runner. Didn't do. Um, haven't uh, haven't done uh, an episode of the Dallas action this month. But that was the plan, you know take uh take the month off as it were but uh delay here delay there but here we are dude doing it again and this time we have a special guest how would you my man like to introduce our special guest on episode number 48 of this very fine podcast it would be my it would be my pleasure uh so today joining us uh if you've listened to my show before you've definitely heard him on there he's a fan favorite he is a extraordinary researcher in his own right, and you can check out all his stuff at gil-jesus.com. Mr. Gil Jesus, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. It's a pleasure for you to be or yeah, for you to be here. For It is. For us. I, you read my mind. <laughs> that shit goes without saying, though, man. You You read my mind. I know, I know. Uncle Dave uh, over there in San Diego is happy. You're one of his favorite researchers, and he's been begging us to have you on this show uh, to hash it out with us. So I know Uncle Dave is happy. Momo, Momo, Rob just straight up told homie, "The pleasure's all yours." <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, I'm just, you know, I'm just messing with you, Rob. I'm just messing with you, buddy. But no, Gil, it's hey. actually a, a pleasure to meet you. Um, I have been reading your research uh, on the old interweb for years, for years. Um, measured, 
uh, analytically sound work, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Like, like, like Rob said for me, for me, uh, uh, <laughs> it's a pleasure for me to be here. And uh, I've heard your show before, and I've always wanted to be on it. So uh, thank you for inviting me. No worries, dude. No worries. Well, guys, um, we have a bit of breaking news. Topical it, news. Yeah, top of the. We'll we'll do a little news. It's not breaking news. Uh, it broke, I believe, around September ninth. Uh, is when um, at least uh, the thing I've got here, uh, the sound bites from that we're going to hear later is from September 9th. But it broke that weekend, of course. Um, I, as I said before, I went on vacation and I told told uh, my wife, you know what, I'm going to tune out of everything every, except that one thing we had planned, Rob. But uh, I said, I'm just going to tune out. And, of course, this broke over that weekend uh, since our last episode, guys. A big development, and I wanted to uh, read a little bit, uh, listen to some sound bites of this gentleman in the story, and get you guys' take, Mr. Gill and Mr. Big Bad Bob, the announcement of an upcoming book containing a startling allegation by a member of the Kennedy Secret Service detail, former special agent Paul Landis, who was Mrs. Kennedy's agent. The book is called The Final Witness, due to be published, I'm sure, between now and the 60th anniversary. And, of course, the blockbuster claim that's making all the news uh, being made now. After this event, Mr. Landis claims that he found an intact pristine bullet in the limousine and then placed it on President Kennedy's gurney by the president's feet. Now, not only that, but Landis now asserts that the bullet known as the quote-unquote magic bullet that we know as Commission Exhibit 399, the linchpin that holds the flimsy Warren report together. According to Landis, that bullet is in fact the bullet that he now claims 60 years later that he found in the presidential limo and placed on the president's gurney. I want to read a little bit for you guys. Uh, from uh, Kayla Epstein, an article at BBC News, just to catch you know anybody up that might uh, might not be aware of it or of the details, if I may. Um, <clears throat> from BBC, it says Paul Landis and jump and guys, Gil, uh, Rob knows this. Jump in, dude. Anytime something mm-hmm. occurs to you, just jump right in. Um, okay. Paul Landis, an 88-year-old former Secret Service agent who witnessed the president's death at close range, says in an upcoming memoir that he took a bullet from the car after Mr. Kennedy was shot and then left it on the former president's stretcher at the hospital. It might seem like a minute detail in a case that has been poured over since the 60s and for which the government laid out an exhaustive report. Let Let me just stop right there. Uh... Man, yeah, it's 26 volumes worth of information, but I don't necessarily think the report itself was all that exhaustive. But that's just me. Um, The BBC continues, but to individuals who have spent decades looking at every shred of evidence, Mr. Landis's account is a major and unexpected development. This really is the most significant news in the assassination since 1963, said James Robinault, a historian and Kennedy expert who worked with Mr. Landis to prepare him for his public revelations. Um, You guys got any thoughts so far? Uh, (laughs) 
I know you guys got a lot of thoughts. Rob, you've talked about this on the Lone Gunman podcast uh, already. Um, yeah, you know, I mean. He, he, uh, he's, he. Go ahead, Gil. He said that, uh, I think he said, didn't he say that he put it down near the, uh, the president's feet on yes. the stretcher? Yes. Yeah, and then and in 2013, um, one of the nurses over at the uh, uh, Parkland Hospital said that she saw a bullet, but it was up between the president's collarbone, I think, and, and his head wound. Uh, but she saw a bullet on the stretcher. Now, it could be that, you know, he might misrepresent misremember where exactly on the stretcher he put it, or it could be that somebody else moved it. But there is verification for his story from a, from the nurse, um, what the heck was her name now? Let's see. Uh, Phyllis Hall. Phyllis Hall, that, uh, yeah. Phyllis Hall saw a bullet on the stretcher. And uh, and she, she uh, gave that interview to the London Telegraph in 2013. So uh, I, I got this on my YouTube channel, by the way, if anybody wants to look at it. Uh, she says it at uh, 2.07 in the video. She says she saw a bullet on Kennedy's stretcher. She puts it in a different location, but that doesn't mean that if, if the location is wrong, that it was never there. You know what I mean? Some people would kind of argue, well, he said he, they, they put it, he put it at the feet and she saw it up near the head. Well, what does that, what does that mean? It wasn't there? No, of course not. It could be that one, of, one or the other might just be wrong of the location. I mean, this was 60 years ago. So... You know, and they get they getting old, so they might forget where they put it. But there is verification for a bullet being on the stretcher. Well, there's even further verification, and 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 I am um, remiss in my duties because I just I meant to get a little bit of this uh, this audio, Gil and Rob. You may know her name. Um, was it Aubrey something? Another nurse at Parkland. There's audio of her deposition her interview with the House Select Committee on Assassinations, um, in which she states that she saw a bullet on the president's gurney as well. Um, what is her name? You guys know? I can't remember. Audrey Bell. Audrey Bell. Audrey Bell, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I've got her entire deposition over on uh, the Lone Gunman from the Vault YouTube uh, or audio stream, the entire thing. So uh, definitely worth a listen. And again, you know, it's uh, the the, the poo pooers who love to poo poo uh, any kind of new revelations that come out. Uh, you know, it's it, it's right for the picking for sure. You know, I mean, it's it sucks this guy waited as long for this to, to come out, but you know, just to break it down to its bare bones, if what he's saying is true, then it changes everything. It, I mean, it, it changes the entire shot sequence. It changes the amount of shots. Um, Absolutely, so because either, either either you either you have a separate bullet, either the, that bullet and CE three ninety nine is separate, which means there were two shooters, or they're the, they're, they've been confused and that bullet CE three ninety nine was never found on on the stretcher. Right. Because there's even in. in indications that the bullet found or a bullet found on a stretcher had a had a pointed tip right um well, i think thomas yeah, but, and the guy that found it um yeah that's what he said you know and of yeah. course the carcano and, bullet has a rounded nose instead of a pointed tip that's right op Wright told uh 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 what's his name the guy that did six seconds josiah thompson that the bullet was pointed 
And uh, yeah, so he, he identified a pointed bullet that he was shown as as similar to the one that he had seen. So either this bullet that that Landis found is C, is the CE three ninety nine bullet, and that was the one that he put on the stretcher, and that's the one that they found. Either that, if that's the case, then it didn't go through two men, and you have a second yeah. shooter, or there's two different yeah. bullets. Two different bullets, and you have two different shooters. Either way, uh, Rob, you're right. This changes everything. I I agree with that a hundred percent. Well, what it what he's done is, uh, um, he's basically called out the ridiculous magic bullet theory, hasn't he? I mean, like it's bullshit. Is what he's saying. Yeah. You know, that came out of his. That came out of Kennedy's back, didn't? Right. You know, if it never it, penet- it never penetrated the body. Yeah, and if that is three ninety nine on that lip between the back seat and where the sheet metal starts, right? If that is three ninety nine, if it came from over by the trunk, it damn sure didn't come out of Connolly's thigh. Right. Exactly. That means there were two shooters. At, at a bare minimum, I think there were more. Right. I do too. I think he was shot from two different directions, the front and the rear. Yeah, yeah. From up high from yeah. the rear. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. We can talk about that some more. You know, what we were before we went on the air, you know, that thirty out six shell, that's mm-hmm. uh you know, that makes all kinds of alarm bells go off for me. Yep. You know. Well let's listen to some sound bites, guys, of uh Mr. Landis. I have a few here. Uh I believe this was uploaded uh on September ninth on YouTube. It is Paul Landis and this other guy, uh Robinault, is that his name? Um his co-author. Yeah, I think that's the guy that helped him write his book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or as some in the community say, his CIA handler. <laughs> uh, Paul Landis with host Gaddy Schwartz. Here we go. We got a few. Let's check it out. Momo, Landis one, please, sir. Uh, we rely, rely, arrived at Parkland Memorial Hospital. Hang on, Doug. Pause it real quick. Um, I jumped out. I got you. Did he just come from the bar? What's going on here with Mr. Landis? Uh, yeah, were they all were, were they at the cellar drinking all night or what? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, man, he uh, uh, he him he's there with Robinald and Johnny Walker apparently, but uh, yeah, <laughs> and Evan Williams, <laughs> Evan Evans passed Jim, out in the in the green room. Jim Beam, actually. yeah, Jim Beam. Jim Beam. Let's let's see what he and old gentleman. All right, sorry. Go go yeah. ahead and start it over. Let's see. Could, let's yeah. see what he and gentleman Jack have to say here. Out of the follow-up car, and raced up to Mrs. Kennedy to the Mrs. Kennedy in the limo. I reached over and took her by the shoulders and asked her if I could help her. Uh, she said, "No, no, no, no. I, I want to stay with him. I want to stay with the President." Uh, about that time, Clint entered the uh, rear of the car and uh, realized that Mrs. Kennedy was hiding the president's head and didn't want anybody to see the head wound. So he, he immediately convinced her he cover. He took off his suit coat, covered her head, uh, his president's head. And they started to get up to leave the, the limousine. In the meantime, while this was happening, I happened to look 
uh, to the right where, Ms., where Mrs. Kennedy was sitting and sitting in a pool of blood there, I saw two bright uh, brass bullet fragments. I picked one of them up, looked at it, and it was kind of like the end of my little pinky. It was mushroomed, and I put it back right exactly where I found it. Now that's something he's that that that's a story he's told in the past. I think right, the the bullet fragments are not new in his story. Hello, hello, Rob. Yeah, when he when he yes, when sir. he took when that's he talks cue, about man. the uh, that's your cue to he... to back me up and go hell yeah, man. <laughs> uh, I, my mic was muted. I apologize. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Go ahead, Gil. But Gil's here. Yeah, yeah I, Gil. I, I, when he's when he's making the uh, he's re- recollecting how, what happened with the uh, with the coat and how I think it was Clint Hill put his coat over Kennedy's head, uh, and uh, you know the, these are things that um, you, when you're looking when you're looking at someone's story, you look to see how accurate it is. These are things that I've heard from other people um, that she was. Uh, she was either ashamed or uh, afraid of anybody seeing him like that. And uh, so they, they covered his head when they took the body into the, uh, into the hospital. So he, to me, his memory seems to be okay. You know, he's not misremembering anything because he's, he's saying the same thing that other people have said, Uh, man, he's definitely got his story together, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Some might say too well. I don't necessarily think so. Um, you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, another another little soundbite of Mr. Landis. And by then, Mrs. Kennedy was standing up, and I was looking around for other agents. I didn't see anybody, but I saw an intact, fully uh, bullet on the back of the seat where the uh, cushioning meets the met the trunk of the car and i picked it up and looked at it and it was only thing i noticed that was wrong with it were were bullet striations there was no other deformities um i started to put it back mrs kennedy and clint were leaving the car and uh, i made a quick decision I, i didn't see anybody to secure the car people were merging on on the car uh, I did not want this piece of evidence to disappear, and I slipped it into my pocket. I okay, that I understand, but I'm still I am having a hard time with not giving this to a superior. I, something there, there's something there's part of me that kind of goes, hey, wait a minute, you know. Uh, when it comes to this next part um, 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 that he talks about, um, putting it on the gurney. Let's check that out, guys. Um, As we raced through the lobby of uh, the emergency room, uh, we got got to trauma room one. They had to pivot the uh, gurney that the president's body was on and push it into the trauma room. And, there was a crowd that kind of joined us doing this. I was pushed right up next to uh, the president's body and standing right next to his feet. 
Um, most everybody in the room was focused on the head wound. I could not look. I knew I would pass out if I saw it. Um, but all these things are whirling through my mind on what to do. And I realized this was a perfect just, uh, place to leave a bullet uh, with the president's body. And it would be found during uh, the autopsy. And about that time, so I reached out, I put the bullet on the gurney right by his feet. See, man, I, I don't know. Rob Gill, yeah, that's... something. something well, yeah, like you're probably right. show. I mean, you can't, you got to put yourself in this guy's shoes. Yeah, I hear you, man. I mean, he, he, he was young, man. He was in his 20s. You know, you see the president's head get blown off right in front of you. Uh, you know, this is your job to to protect these people. This guy was probably freaking the fuck out. You know, if he'd never seen a anybody killed before or did, especially for it to happen right in front of him, then you're in the heat of the moment. You're in a high speed. Uh, you're in a high speed. Uh, you know, dash to get to the hospital, and it's just chaos everywhere. So I I don't fault the guy for anything that he did or didn't do. Uh, in the heat of the moment, um, you know, should he have tucked it in between Kennedy's toes like a cigarette in between fingers? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, you know uh, what, dude? You're right. You're right. Uh, it could just be it's probably just cognitive dissonance on my part. Right. Because, you know. The cognitive dissonance is like there's no fucking way you just put it on a stretcher. <laughs> You're going to give it to somebody, well, they, but you know, people you know, seem to think I, I, that you know these guys are just robotic in their in their it, job duties, and they know exactly what to do in in the light of everything. But but that in but, reality, yeah. it was most of these guys' first time. You know, they for this they to happen to any of them. They were in a state you know? of shock. Who yeah, knows like like, gonna, like my own who cognitive. Knows some, yeah, who well, knows what somebody's going to do in a state of shock? Exactly. You don't know how you're going to go re- react. And you, you're you're right. He, what he should have done was he should have mocked it. And giving it to a superior, that would have been the right way to do it. But he, but he, but he like, made a mistake. Under the circumstances, who knows what, what somebody would do in a state of shock? You're exactly right. You know, it's just my own cognitive dissonance not allowing me to accept that. You know what? He fucked up. Yeah. I mean, his his mind was racing. He messed up. Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of go back and forth with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um But, uh, but yeah. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
if that is three ninety nine. I mean, and he's he's making no bones about it that it's three ninety nine. Then yeah. it's the magic bullet, right? Yeah. I saw I saw something years ago. I don't want to get into it too much, but I saw something years ago that put me in a state of shock. And four four hours later, I'm still asking myself, did I really see what I thought I saw? You know? Yeah, man. So I mean, who knows how long it lasts, too? Mr. Landis continues. When you found that bullet, this bullet has become the focal point of, of so much history. When you found that bullet, was it lodged in a cushion? You said that it had striations. Uh, was it lodged in the cushion? Was it just sitting on the back of the of the seat next to where the convertible came down? Uh, how would you describe uh, its condition when you found it? Uh, it was perfect condition. It was not buried or sunk in a seam. It was just lying uh, where the seam on the back of the seat meets uh, the middle of the trunk. And uh, it's where they would have attached the bubble top if they had or had, were, were putting it on. And, and you got a good look at it. Did it have any blood or any, any sort of matter on it? I didn't notice any blood. Uh, it was just, it was like everybody wrote or says, it was a pristine bullet. The only thing on it were uh, rifle striations. Uh, and that, that's all I noticed at the time. That's all he noticed. But this, like you guys were saying, we, we were saying before we went on the air, um, this absolutely changes everything. Oh, yeah. Changes Definitely. everything. Um, because yeah, as, the as shot we... sequence to the miss, so-called missed shots, um, you know, it, it changes everything. I mean, sure. the whole magic bullet theory was, you know, came over, came up with to explain things. And, you know, if you only have three spent shells on the sixth floor, <laughs> um, then there definitely has to be more than, more than three shots here. Um, it, like I said, it just changes everything from the shot sequence to the amount of shots and, uh, and even if the witnesses heard three, heard only three shots, now you got to ask yourself: Was it really three shots or three volleys of shots? Right. Could could it have been as much as nine shots? Yeah, these are untrained ears in the heat of the right. moment, with echoes all over the place, and you know everybody's always said that the shot sequence, the how it goes, you know, like boom, 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 that the second and third shot were too close together to be yeah. coming from the same place so yeah it definitely changes everything and you know when you take into consideration the acoustic evidence from the hsca panel and you know the they say the, there were the, four the, shots the witnesses saying yeah. they smell gun smoke gunpowder on the on the ground level how the hell does gunpowder get from the sixth floor down to the ground level there's something else going on here well nobody oh, even absolutely. mentioned smelling gunpowder on the sixth floor while they're searching no. No, so nobody smelled the gunpowder on the sixth floor. Sixth floor pretty good, or any other floor. The guys right below him didn't smell any gunpowder. Yeah, but the people got... on the street, but the people on the street smelled it. Now, yeah, let me let me ask you guys about this, and uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, before we before we went on air. Um, the bullet where it was found, you know, as Paul Landis describes it where the back of the seat meets 
you know, it's where the, they would attach the bubble top, basically where the back of the seat meets the trim and the sheet metal of the car on top, in the back. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about, you know, the, the, there's always been uh, the assertion that that wound as it was probed, the uh, Kennedy's back wound, and it didn't go very far, you know. Right. And what Landis is asserting now is that, you know, this bullet fell out of that back wound. Mm-hmm. So, and we were talking before, Rob, you mentioned it, a badly loaded round or a dud of a round, right? Yeah, underpowered. Underpowered. Which makes me think of a reload. You know, a lot of people, some people load their own old ammo. Right. Old ammo. Or like I said, a reload. Now, think about um, Lauren Hall, Lawrence Howard, and the Johnson 30-06 rifle. Right? We talked about it before. The shell casing that was found on uh, the roof of the Dallas County Records building, and I believe it was 78... um, by that HVAC repairman, was crimped on the end as if possibly a sabot or sabot, I don't know how you say it, maybe French people say it, a sabot. A know. sabot. A sabot. <laughs> um, croissant. Right, croissant. And now think about this. If you wanted to introduce Manlicker Carcano evidence, and this is totally speculative, right, completely, but if you wanted to introduce ballistics evidence of a of 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 a the Carcano type, right? And that would be smaller than a thirty out six. So you use a Sabbath, you know, put a Manlicker bullet in a thirty out six shell, load it yourself. Like, what if they loaded it a little too light when they reloaded that round? Here's a, here's another thing, Doug. They, they were there were uh, reloads being done in out in Dallas oh, by man. the gun shops. Dude, uh, every that, gun that shop 6. does 5. They they were doing reloads. Oh, for uh, the six point fives. John 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 Thomas Mason was doing it in his gun shop. Now, see, I never doing, heard that, Gil, that he was actually reloading Carcano they were, ammo. They were doing they were doing reloads, and. Uh, uh, they, he had gotten a bunch of them from uh, Johnny Bringear. I forget uh, um, how many co- how many uh, boxes he bought, but they were doing they were doing it for hunting. They were doing it for uh, because you don't need military ammunition to go hunting. So they uh, they were doing it for to reload the uh, six point five for hunting soft loads they called them, and uh, yeah. So I mean. That, you're right. If if it's underpowered, there's only two ways it can be underpowered. Either the ammunition is just so bloody old that it couldn't go through anything, and or that they uh, when they reloaded them, they reloaded them with the more wrong amount of powder. Yep, uh, uh, a mistake reloading, and you know. Yeah, and and the FBI did a search of the uh, gun shops in Dallas to find out who was doing the reloads, and they found out who this guy was. But he, you know what he said? He said he never sold any ammunition to Oswald, so they let it go. <laughs> yeah. They never found out who he, they never asked him who he sold the ammunition to. He yeah. just said, Oh, sell it to Oswald. Okay, fine. That's all right. Did you sell any of this to I Oswald? Sold it to Alec Heidel. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. This makes wow. me, this, that's what makes me laugh about these Warren Commission followers because 
if if the evidence or the witness has anything to add to Oswald's guilt, they're credible. If they don't add to Oswald's guilt, they're not believable. That's the way these people are. That's what how they measure a credibility of a witness is whether or not he can add anything to Oswald's guilt. That's ridiculous. It yeah, is. You're absolutely right, Gil. You're 100 percent right. It's ridiculous. They're poo-pooing Paul Landis as a liar. Yeah, of course. Oh, he just wants to sell books. No, he, yeah. He's 88. I don't think he gives a shit about selling and, books and at this yeah. point. The reason Paul Landis is that much of a threat is because, you know, there ain't much holding the fucking Warren report together. Oh, no. There, and what little bit and is there is the magic bullet theory. Right. Without right. the magic bullet theory, everything else... It just va- it vaporizes. It's gone. It's a it's, it's a gone. house of cards. It's a house of cards. Yeah. You you remember? Do you ever see the movie My Cousin Vinny? Yeah. Oh yeah. Do oh, you yeah. remember? Remember when he's talking to his cousin in the jail and he's got the playing card and he says, "This is the co- prosecutor's card. He wants you to see, think that he's building a brick wall and all the bricks look good and other things." Then he turns the card sideways. He says, "And when you look at it from a certain angle, you realize how thin his case really is." Yeah, he says it's all—it's all an illusion. That's all it is. And you know what? I—I so I, I posted eight witnesses who saw smoke on the knoll. You know what the answer was from these Warren Commission supporters? Well, rifles don't put off smoke. Who the hell said it was a rifle? All the witnesses said that they saw smoke. That doesn't mean it was a rifle. <laughs> I mean, it's—they they put things. They try to make it sound like. All the witnesses, eight witnesses, had this mass hallucination, or they all conspired to lie or something. I don't know. But instead of looking at it and saying, you know, you got eight witnesses here that all corroborate each other. They're all saying the same thing. You know, the good book says the witness of two is true witness. I don't know. But they don't believe it. I think they're brainwashed. Well, I, no, I, think, people, I think people are brainwashed. They, they're afraid of the truth. They're afraid to hear the truth. And they, they've got their own truth, and that's what they believe. And God damn it, they're not going to believe anything else. There's a certain segment, I agree, that are, well, they're convinced that the government would not lie to them. They're convinced never. of that. And no, the government would never lie. I think that the Warren Commission defenders population is made up of like three three types of people, right? The people who are convinced the government would not lie to them about anything, Right. People with way too fucking much time on their hands. And people who are paid to defend the Warren report. Yeah. Those are the those are the three type of people that will, you know, the type of person that inserts themselves into the assassination research community, right. which is made up completely of people who research because of because they believe in conspiracy, <clears throat> but embed themselves in it. To tell everybody they're fucking wrong. Those, yeah. <laughs> there's only three types, right? Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And they're usually and you know, all got a little bit of all three of those in them. And you know what? I think the best way I've ever heard it, this assassination ever explained was Harold Weisberg. He said this crime was beyond the capability of one man, Oswald, or anyone else. And on that basis, there was a conspiracy. That's the best way I've ever heard it explained. Harold Weisberg. God bless him. Hell yeah. That's a very, very good Weisberg quote yeah. from the king himself, man. Yeah. Uh, it was a guy who was a Senate investigator, and he wasn't convinced. I mean, 
the way they did things in Dallas, it's, it's, oh my God, this was the perfect place to kill the president and get away with it. I mean, just the way oh, they man. did things down there. I mean, they, they never, they didn't care whether or not they convicted the right guy. All they wanted to do was convict the guy they arrested. That's, that was their, <laughs> that was their, that was the way they did police work. I've got a, Amen, I've got links where, dude. Amen. I've, got, I've got links, I've got links where, um, Henry Wade, and I've heard the number anywhere from 19 to 25 convicted. Now, I'm not even talking about accused like Oswald. Convicted. 19 to 25 men for crimes they did not commit. Oh. And in 1954, he sent an innocent man to the electric chair. He convinced the jury to send an innocent man to, to the electric chair. This is Henry Wade, the same guy that, that was prosec- going to prosecute Oswald. All right? 19 to 25 yeah. of those convictions were overturned on DNA evidence. Now, he, he presented a case that was a convincing enough either to a judge or a jury that the, the defendant was guilty. And he got those convictions, even though those people were innocent. It was later, some of them spent 14 to 15, 16 years in, in prison for a crime they never committed. This is the kind of thing that they did in Dallas. This is the way they did it. They wanted to convict the guy they arrested. They didn't give a shit whether or not they got the right guy. They didn't care. It didn't matter to them because as far as they were concerned, if he was arrested, he was the right guy. Uh, he had some kind of ridiculous clearance rate, but it was, it was, yeah, yeah like, like 99%. But yeah, they, they, they interviewed him and he said, how many times have you asked for the death penalty? 48. How many times have you got it? 47, something like that. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's all they cared about with his statistics. They didn't care whether or not they got the right guy. <coughs> People ask me, you mean to tell me that they would let the killer of one of their own offices off free to to uh, to blame it on another guy, to frame another guy? Yeah, that's what they did. Exactly. That's exactly the way they did things down there. Yeah, he, he was going to get an arrest and conviction, uh, a conviction uh, regardless of, yeah, of, of anything. Exactly. That's the most important that, thing. Not justice, but. Exactly. <laughs> and you know how ridiculous it was? They had. Will Fritz tried to get Wesley Buell, Wesley Frazier, to sign a confession that he was involved in the president's murder. Can you believe that? They had no evidence against that kid. Nineteen years old, he tried. He put a a sign. Uh, he put a typed confession in front of the kid and tried to get him to sign yep. it. And he said, "No, I'm not signing it." I mean, and Fritz went off. I mean, this is the way they did things down there. And I'll tell you something else: if they didn't have a case against somebody, and it was a case as as uh, you know, as as uh, national as this case, that guy is not going to make it to trial, my friend. He is not. That case is never going to be tried because they don't have the evidence and they're going to look stupid in the end. So what do they do? They let one of their buddies, they can't shoot him, but they let some one of their buddies into the police station and let him have a go at it. There you go. There End of go. story. Case closed. Henry Wade. I, I remember that old that famous. Uh, there's a little clip of him. Um, I believe it's it's close to midnight on the 22nd. He's being interviewed, and he goes, "Oh, we've already got this guy wrapped up in a knot with a nice yeah. little bow." Nice you know? little bow at yeah. midnight on Friday. Yeah, midnight on Friday. Midnight for, they haven't even found the information yet on the rifle yet. They won't find it for another four hours. But he's got he's got this case all wrapped up. Yeah, what evidence do you have? He brought a package to the building, and uh, uh, he was in the area shortly before the. Oh, he was in the area immediately before the shots were fired. Immediately before, 35 minutes, 
35 minutes somebody saw saw him before the shooting on the sixth floor. You know how far he, away he could have gotten in 35 minutes? He could have gotten home in less than 35 minutes. Uh, yeah, he could have gotten yeah. back to his room, for Christ's sake. That don't mean anything. Oh, his fingerprints were on boxes on the sixth floor. Yeah, well, he was working on the sixth floor. So his fingerprints might be on boxes. That's not no proof of guilt. And the fingerprints are on top on the top part of the boxes. How did he pick the boxes up and stack them when his fingerprints are on top? How do you pick up a box from the top of it if you don't have a loop or something on top of it to grab a handle? Come on. <laughs> it's all bullshit. Uh, every all bit it of it. Every bit of it. And you want me to tell you something? This is another thing that I want to ma- I want to mention before we go on, that every single piece of major major piece of evidence in this case, from the rifle to the three shells on the sixth floor to the four shells that were found at the Tippett murder scene to Oswald's jacket under the car to CE three ninety nine to the backyard photographs, every single piece of major evidence that they claim was get, proved Oswald's guilt, every single piece of it was never authenticated by the person who found it. Imagine that. Oh, uh, there's, there's no the, such thing Boone, as chain of custody in this case. Boone, Boone found know? the rifle, and when they asked him when he, in his testimony if he could identify that as the rifle he found, he said he couldn't. He couldn't. I can't be positive, he said. The others were not, were not asked. The people who were asked could not identify that piece of evidence that they currently have in, the, in their possession of government as the evidence that they found. Every single piece of how it. How does that happen? Well, you know, it, Boone finally did, but it was in fucking 1973. Yeah, but how does that happen when, when in, in the case of the jacket, you don't even know who found it? I know. Well, look at right. look at the Boone Weitzman. You know, they both signed affidavits on the 22nd that they found a 7.65 Mauser. Right. They, and Roger Craig said it was stamped right on the rifle. Yeah, yeah. And he said he was standing right Mauser. there with Boone looking at the rifle. And they look down, and and they look, you know, it's like they look down, look at yeah. each other. And oh, said, it's a it Mauser. Was, it was stamped. It was stamped on the rifle, and 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 Weitzman even pointed to it. Yeah, yeah. Seven point six five Mauser. Even pointed to it. And I think it's Boone uh, that owned a sporting goods store. You know, uh, it was Weitzman. Was it? Was it Weitzman? Okay, it was Weitzman. Yeah. yeah, Weitzman used to own a sporting goods store. Yeah. Oh, and for those uh, uh, listeners who may not know, Boone and Weitzman were were they Dallas PD or sheriff's deputies? Deputies. Uh, sheriff's deputies. deputies. Yeah, sheriff Dep- deputies. deputies. Dallas uh, County Sheriff Sheriff De- Fuck Liberty Lobby Rob Liberty Lobby. Uh, they were deputies, guys, and uh, they were there when they found and they signed affidavits on the twenty second. You know. Hey, it was a 7.65 Mauser. And, you know, you can see numerous news reports, you know, breaking news reports. You know, officials say they found a 7.65 Mauser. You know, I've seen a clip of Walter Conkright saying that shit three times. Yeah. You know. Then Then he corrects it. Man like Carchanto, he says. Yeah, yeah. Built in the town of Carchanto. Yeah, you know what? You know when it changed. You know when the you know when the type of rifle changed when they found the paperwork. Once they found the paperwork that did this this rifle had been sold to A. Hadell, all of a sudden it wasn't a Mauser anymore. It was a Manlika Cano. It's amazing. It's amazing. The whole the whole the whole case is bullshit. But guys, so, what are we to make of? Uh... And, and and again, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but with Paul Landis, right? Mm-hmm. About his claim to not have even known about 
the magic bullet theory and CE399 and the Warren report until 2016. He says that he was gifted a copy of Josiah Thompson's book, Six Seconds in Dallas, in 2016, and he read it. And it was at that point he saw the photographs of 399. He read the story, the magic bullet theory, and it was at that point he says, hey, wait a minute. They've got it all wrong. That's the bullet I found. Now, I I find it a little hard to believe that he didn't become aware of any of that until 2016. I'm sorry. I just, and I know... I know the explanations that, um, you know, and I guess it's possible, you know, shock. You put it out of your mind. Um, it was so traumatic. And I guess, you know, I guess all that's possible, but uh, not not to know. And we'd probably be remiss, too, not to mention, um, you know, that a neighbor of Sam Kinney, who was driving the follow-up car uh, a few years ago, came forward and asserted that Sam Kinney told him that they found a bullet in the car and that he put it on the stretcher and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Now, see, I got to give a shout-out, Rob, to Ted Rubenstein, our brother Ted. Um, he brought that to my attention um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and we talked about it a little bit last week, that Sam Kinney's neighbor told, according to Ted, it was Jim Fetzer, actually. And that pretty no, much, was it? According to Ted, it was. It was on Fetzer's show or on YouTube or talking to Fetzer or being interviewed by Fetzer. I don't know. Uh, but, I mean, Ted, he knows his shit as far as that goes. But, um, man, yeah, Sam Kinney, who, as Rob said, was driving the follow-up car, said he found a bullet in the car and placed it on. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Kennedy's stretcher. And I heard I heard Dr. Walt Brown. He is uh, skeptical of Landis, to say the least. And he brought that up, too, that, that, that apparently Sam Kinney had told the same story. What do you think about that, Rob? Well, I like I was arguing with somebody about this, and I kind of came up with the supposition that since we didn't actually hear it from Sam Kinney himself, you, go. you know, we're hearing it third hand from a neighbor, okay? So maybe in the, in the course of Sam Kinney telling this to the neighbor, you know, he, he may have said, we, uh, as in the Secret Service in general, he didn't. Maybe he didn't want to name Landis specifically, but 
maybe he just told his neighbor, hey, we found a bullet in the limo and we put it on the stretcher. Or maybe he even took credit for doing it to cover for Landis without saying his name specifically. Who knows? Yeah. It, um, it could have been um, Kenny telling this guy, look, man, you know that bullet? Nah. Paul Landis, another agent, found that thing in Kennedy's car. And then years later, now, did he say Did he say he found it or somebody else? You know, the, I'm, I'm the neighbor, I mean. You know, it could mm. even be that. It could yeah. even be or that. he could just say, yeah. you know, hey, we found we found another bullet in, in Kennedy's car, you know, and it morphed into he found. We found, he found, or, I or, found, yeah. who knows, you know. Or if you're, if you're, you're the guy's neighbor, you're going to say, look, man, I'm going to let you in on something, okay? There was another bullet found in that car. Or that magic bullet that they say made all those wounds, that was found. No, we found that in the car. Yeah, that was found in the car, and they put it on the president's stretcher. That's all bullshit, Mister Neighbor Man. You know, and then uh, it goes from there was a bullet found to my neighbor found it. Yeah, yeah. But regardless, as we're saying, uh, if there's any kernel of truth to this story, then the magic bullet theory, the ridiculous magic bullet theory that all of the lone nutters need it's uh it's nullified is it not guys yeah yeah even if there's exactly. any kernel of truth to this no matter who I mean, actually those, found it this guy landis this guy landis was traumatized man i mean i think he lasted another year on diaper duty with the secret service until he just said he he couldn't take it anymore i mean he he pretty much relived that day every day for years um you know so he was definitely scarred by this event and and you know like i said he quit the secret service i think less than a year after this happened and just went from you know working joe jobs being a painter you know this that and the other you know and just wanted to forget about it as much as possible which is understandable so you know you try to put that shit out of your mind you don't want to think about it you don't dwell on it you don't research it you just live your life and try to move on from this traumatic event until maybe mentally you're, you know, you're at that point where you can reflect a little better and you're more mature. And, you know, maybe you, you maybe you hear something that sparks your interest. And, you know, like he says, you know, the catalyst was uh, six seconds in Dallas for him, you know, to actually put two and two together in his own mind. And, uh, hear about all this stuff because you know us like us three here you know we pretty much live and breathe this this stuff on a daily basis and it's it's hard to comprehend a person who has never paid any attention to the kennedy assassination but they're they're all around us every day as Mm -hmm. soon as you walk out the house you know these people have no clue what happened yeah they have no clue and they're willing they're willing to argue with you even though they have no clue yeah they're willing to yeah. argue. And you know what, Rob? You make a good point, too, because these guys, like you said, they were all traumatized by what this happened. And what do you do when you're traumatized? You want to put it out of your mind. You don't You don't want to read exactly. books about You're not going to read books about it. You're not going to watch TV programs about it. You're not going to get any. You, want to, you just want to forget the whole freaking thing because it was just so horrific that you just can't accept that it even happened. 
you know, and like I say, yeah, when you're, you're, in, you have you're like... in a state of shock, yeah, it's amazing what you do when you're in a state of shock. Oh, yeah. My grandfather, uh, he he stormed the beaches at Normandy and, and for in World War II, and he refused to talk about any of that yeah. shit. Yeah, exactly. his whole life, even even when he's in his nineties. Yeah, because he, he saw guys dying in front it. of him. There were there were men dying, young men dying. And a lot of those people, the kids that that saw him that beach were 18, 19, 20 year old kids. They would just have been drafted. Yeah. and uh, you know, it's it's a terrible thing to see something like that. Yeah, he didn't he didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want no. to think about it. You know, and he was, you know, he two Purple Hearts, and uh, you know. He saved some people's lives that day and saw a lot um, that didn't make it. And, you know, you can only pull little nuggets out of him. But most of the time, he didn't want to talk about it at all or, you know, even deal with it. Yeah, uh, it's understandable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the way my dad was about Vietnam. He, nah, I don't want to talk about it, you know. Yeah. Never did. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure he saw so many horrendous things even done by his own guys to the peep, to those peasants in Vietnam. Oh, and yeah, it, man. Atrocities, he... war atrocities that were committed even by the Americans that he didn't even want to talk about it. He couldn't believe it. He was my, he was proud of his service, but at right. the same time, he'd tell you it was all bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> there was no reason for it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so... Never should have went over there. Yeah, pretty much. That was, that was his thing. That was his thing. And, uh. Um, you know, a proud veteran, you know, proud army guy, yep. artillery guy, but he just uh, didn't want to talk about it because it was pretty. I heard a few stories, you... man, but you know, it was funny shit. You know, like yeah. a couple of funny stories. Uh, yeah, you know, like dumb shit that happened. But um, yeah, but yeah, you know, I am uh, I'm looking forward to uh, um, our resident Secret Service agent um, expert, Mister Vince Palomara is actually doing a presentation at Lancer about Paul Landis. So I'm oh. looking forward to that, seeing what Mr. Palomar has to say. I, um, It seems like, is he possibly, what do you guys think? Have you seen any of his writing online about it? Is he giving Landis a shot, a chance, or is he, uh, is he a guinea, as they say? I haven't read anything about it. I, I've seen some of the topics. And the topics sound like he doesn't believe him, but um, I don't know. I didn't. I haven't read any of it. Well, that 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 ought to be interesting. A lot of lot of mm. lot of new uh, new names are being added to the old Lancer thing, there, Rob. They are. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It seems like every day we're getting some new new presenters. So yeah, um, but there there we go, guys. The Paul Landis thing. So you guys are. Uh, inclined to believe there's some truth uh, to his story huh yeah uh, i mean uh, it seems to it seems to me anyways it seems to me there's corroboration from other other places uh so that there was a bullet on the stretcher and if this bullet is the the CE399 bullet that means that it did not go through both men and Connolly and Kennedy were hit by different bullets which is what the FBI said what the Secret Service said, what John Connolly said, what Nellie Connolly said, and they were all hit. And even uh, the the witness up on the overpass there, uh, Skinny Holland, said that Connolly and Kennedy were hit by separate bullets. He saw it. So I mean, I hope it is true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I as well. 
and and I agree with you guys. This is um, the man insists that three ninety nine is the bullet he found. You know, there mm-hmm. you go, there you go. But man, the mainstream media, dude, they don't want to let it go. I want to leave you guys with this: the genius that wrote this BBC story that I read from. Here's here's a this is a sentence in there. If he is right, Mister Robinault said. Now here we go. Let me read the whole thing. Um. Mr. Landis now believes the bullet that he found in the car was the one that turned up on Mr. Connolly's gurney. He believes the bullet had embedded shallowly in Mr. Kennedy's back and fallen out in the car. If he is right, Mr. Connolly and Mr. Kennedy may not have been struck by the same bullet. Like, wait, hold up, genius. What? <laughs> you re- <laughs> One dude's thigh in the middle of the car and behind the other guy at the trunk. No, I don't think uh, uh, it's one of those, hey, you think moments, you know, Mm. geniuses. So, Mr. Gil Jesus, bro, you have been doing some work recently on the Lee Harvey Oswald backyard photographs. Have you not? I have. Yeah, man. We want to invite you to take a few minutes, man, and uh, clue us in. Tell us what what you've discovered, your analysis, and what your work has consisted of, man. All right. Let me start out with the, uh, with a uh, quote from Marguerite Oswald. She, this is her testimony to the Warren Commission. She says, if Lee is going to assassinate the president or anyone else, is he going to have photographs laying all around with the gun? No, sir. That's her quote from, the, from her uh, testimony. Now, the official story is this, that police had searched the Payne residence Friday afternoon without a warrant, but with the consent of Ruth Payne. But when the police started taking some of her personal items, she objected and rescinded her consent. At that point, the search was over. No photographs or negatives with Oswald, showing Oswald with the rifle were found on Friday afternoon search. A second search of the Payne residence was done on Saturday, the 23rd, because according to the According to the uh, detective, Richard Stovall, we didn't actually have time to stay as long as we needed to to check the whole house. Now, this is nonsense because there's no such thing as not having enough time to conduct a search. Searches are not limited by time. You You search until the search is completed. You don't leave and come back the next day when evidence that might have been present on Friday had been destroyed overnight. Even if Ruth Payne had ended Friday's search, police should have immediately sought a search warrant and continued their search. Well, hey, Gil, um, didn't didn't Marina or Marguerite say that they destroyed one of the backyard photographs and burn it and threw it in the toilet or something? Yeah, there was a supposedly a photograph that Marina had in her shoe of Oswald uh, in a different pose with the rifle over his head. And okay. uh, and she claims that they destroyed that. Now, so why weren't they why weren't they charged with destroying evidence? Right. Anyways. Yeah. Depending on whose uh, testimony you listen to this now, this is the Saturday search. Depending on whose testimony you believe, the Dallas detectives involved in the Saturday search testified that they arrived anywhere from 11:30 a.m. to 2 p.m. But because they were out of their jurisdiction, their search required the presence of a member of a law enforcement agency with jurisdiction. That member was Irving Police Detective John A. McCabe. The Dallas police testified that they arrived at the Payne residence accompanied by Detective McCabe of the Irving Police Department. Now, that's their story, but that's a lie. 
because McCabe was nowhere near the Payne residence when the Dallas police arrived. McCabe told the FBI, now this is, a, I've got the document, he's told the FBI that he was contacted by detectives, Dallas police detectives Gus Rose and Richard Stovall at 2.45 p.m. to accompany them to the Payne residence. Now this is 2.45 a.m. they call the Irving police to get one of their offices there. <clears throat> now they claim that, let's say they, they arrived at 1.30 or even 145. They were there for a whole hour without the Irving officer there. You following okay. me so far? Now, when yeah. they got, Sa when they sounds arrived. Sounds like the Friday searches. <laughs> Friday, now, when they when they arrived, the Paynes were ready to go a little shopping, food shopping. They showed them where the Oswalds, the boxes were, the, had the Oswalds uh, possessions, and they left. And I'm thinking to myself, why the hell are they letting them leave? If I'm a police officer, and I'm searching a, a, a residence, and the people there, the residents are there, present. I'm going to make them sit on a couch in the living room. I'm going to put a police officer with them. I'm going to make sure that they don't move because I don't want them destroying any evidence that they may that may be hidden. And I don't want them going for any weapons that might be concealed somewhere. So this is to protect my officers and uh, to make sure no evidence is destroyed. I'm going to keep them on that couch until the search is completed. Okay. Right. These guys let them leave and go food shopping. And I'm thinking to myself, what if they find something that implicates any of them in this case? How are they going to arrest them when they've left? This makes no sense to me at all. So I start looking into it deeper and deeper. And then I find this thing about McCabe, that they didn't notify the Irving police for 245. And I'm saying to myself, they've got to be there at least, at least an hour by themselves without the pains. And without the Irving police, why would they do that? Because they're planning on doing something. They're doing. They were planning on doing something, and they don't want anybody to see them. They don't want any witnesses, so they let the pains leave. They don't call the Irving cop till later, and then they. What do they do? They plant the evidence that they claim. They put it in an envelope, and then they call the Irving police. The Irving police. They let him find it. Now, again, this is all my own. This is my own opinion based on the evidence I'm looking at. You see, because there's no reason yep. for them to wait to 2:45 unless they're up to something. They're doing something in that garage that they don't want anybody to see. They don't want the Irving cop to see. They don't want the paints to see. They let them go. You would never let them go, but they let them go because they didn't want any witnesses. And the paints, for some strange reason. Leave the cops there. If your house is being searched, why on earth, why on earth would you even let the cops be there by themselves? Wouldn't you want to be there to make sure they don't take anything of yours? But okay, all right. So yeah, because they, they cared about that on Friday, but not on Saturday. Yeah, all of a sudden it doesn't make yeah. make any uh, it make any sense. <clears throat> now, according to the Washington Warren Commission's report, two photographs and one negative were found in the paint garage during Saturday's search. But Dallas police detective Gus Rhodes testified that he found two photographs and two negatives. He testified that he found one photo and two negatives, and the other photograph was found by McCabe. See, McCabe found the envelope, and what he, he picked out one photograph, saw it, and then he called Rose over, and Rose found the other photograph and some negatives. <clears throat> so what happens to the second negative? Nobody knows. This discrepancy is not the only one that connected the discovery of the photographs. Detective McCabe, <clears throat> excuse me, 
Detective McCabe told the FBI that he found an envelope, like I said, which contained the photographs, one of which was Lee Harvey Oswald standing with a rifle in his hand and a pistol visible on Oswald's right hip. That's what he said. So Stovall, uh, Detective Stovall makes no mention of any envelope, testifying only that the photographs were found in the cardboard box. But I believe they were found in an envelope, and the envelope was in the box. The commission could have cleared this up by asking Detective Rose where he found the photographs, but it failed to do so. In fact, the commission failed to call McCabe as a witness. Can you believe that? The guy to find, This guy finds one of the backyard photographs in the garage, and they don't even call him as a witness to give testimony well, regarding, regarding the discovery of the photos. They also failed to show the photos in evidence to, to Rose and Stovall to, to get them to identify it. This means that the commission never firmly established that the photos currently in evidence were found in the Payne garage. One of many, many things that the commission never really established. They and, just decided, that, you know, they just right. decided. This, this, was, this follows in a long line of commission failures to authenticate major items currently in, in evidence. The rifle, the rifle shells, the shells at the Tippett murder scene, the Oswald's jacket, C3, E399. Those were never identified by the persons who found them. In addition, the photos and nev negatives were never specifically listed. Get this, on inventory sheets of Oswald's possessions recovered from the Payne garage on Saturday. They never listed them on the they, – because they made a list of everything they took out of the garage. An evident, what they call an evidence list of all the things they took out of the garage on Saturday. And these photographs were never listed. Now, the cops claim that they were listed under the title of miscellaneous photographs and maps. All right. Now, this is a, this. This makes me laugh because um, you've got a you've got a suspect under arrest. OK. Killing one of your officers with a handgun and you've got the rifle, which he denies ever owning. And you find photographs of him with a phone with with a, the alleged murder weapons with a rifle and a handgun, and what you give this the same level of significance as uh, June Oswald's baby pictures, <laughs> or got, or a map of uh, a map of, of Dallas, a map of da yeah. da downtown Dallas. I mean, what, what are you kidding me? If this was me, if I were the officer in charge here, that would have been the first thing on my list, listed, and it would have been specifically uh, shows suspect with you know the the uh, 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 a handgun on his hip and a rifle, holding a rifle in a backyard. Yeah, it would have been specific. I would have said what the clothes he was dressed in. I would have made a, I would, there would have been no doubt that those photographs were the ones that were found, plus the negatives accompanying those photographs. But they they weren't listed like that. In addition, they said that they found blank, um, blank uh, copies of that. Uh, remember that selective service card, that fake selective service card with the picture that said A. Hiddell? Yeah. Alec, that, that... Alec J. Hiddell, yeah. They said they found blank ones in it. That's not listed. That's not listed on it. They said they found an ad of the uh, the uh, uh, Klein Sporting Goods with the uh, alleged murder weapon uh, on the ad. That's not listed on there. Yeah, and it was the wrong the wrong size rifle anyway, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a 30, 36-inch rifle. So that's what I'm saying. You, you, you list this. You list all of this under miscellaneous photographs and maps. You got to be kidding me. Yeah, there's so much wrong. So much wrong with the evidence in this case. Oh my God. No. But this is the way they did it, Doug. This is the way. This is the way they did. This is the way they convicted people. It's a, It's unbelievable. That nice, they, neat little uh, bow. Yeah. yeah. All of these crucial pieces of evidence are missing from the evidence list. I don't. I don't get it. I think that the I think when I think what they did was they went there Friday they did a search, and they got everything they 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 took uh 
I think a Russian 35 millimeter camera. They took uh, all kinds of film. They took slides. They took a sl uh, slide projector. They found all, all of this all of this stuff. None of it had proven Oswald was guilty of killing the president. There's nothing on either one of these lists that says that Oswald killed the president. There's no, nothing conclusive on any of these lists. All right. They have nothing. And they went there on Friday. Uh, they, I, I believe, my, my own self, I believe that they found the Imperial Reflex camera on, Saturday, on Friday, which they said they never found it. They, they never did find it. Yeah. Uh, McCabe, McCabe said he saw it on Saturday, but he didn't think it was a, it was a, it was evidence in the case. How can you not think that? You've got a picture of him with the rifle you, that you claim you found with him with the rifle and the, and the gun, and you find a camera, any camera, and you don't think that's that's worth taking as evidence? Come on. But anyways, uh, Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All of these things, I think they found the Imperial Reflex camera on Friday. They went, they made the pictures in the Dallas lab, the Dallas police lab. They faked the pictures. They took pictures of the, the, the fake pictures with the Imperial Reflex camera so that they could have what appeared to be original photographs taken from the Imperial Reflex camera. They threw the other ones out, the composites out. And so now they've got just the pictures taken with that, with that camera. You follow me? Then on Saturday, yeah. they go back with the camera and with the, with the fake pictures, the pictures that they faked, they plant all of that stuff on Saturday because there's no reason to go back on Saturday. There's no reason to go back. There's no reason to leave on Friday and come back on Saturday. They used that as an excuse to plant the evidence on Saturday. The second search on Saturday, I believe, was an opportunity for them to plant evidence against Oswald and let the Irving cop find it so that uh, they could say, well, you know, it wasn't planted by us. The other guy found it, you know. So, you know, that I've heard speculation. There's a lot of people that think that the backyard photographs were made, you know, further back to frame Oswald. You think they were manufactured that weekend, like like overnight by the Dallas yeah. police? Yeah, I think they were. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you another reason why I think that. Yeah. Why? If you look at the photographs, and if you look at the photographs, what the, especially 133A, 133A is the key photograph. This photograph shows a rifle that is not the six-floor rifle, okay? This is a rifle with bottom sling mounts. Yes, uh, the sling, the, the freaking the strap sling, is mounted wrong, dude. The Oswald rifle, on the, bottom. the Oswald rifle. Uh, the 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 Manlicker Carcano found in the Texas School Book Depository. It's mounted on the side, right? That's right. That's right. And in, and the one in the backyard. 
It's mounted on the bottom of the rifle. With a D-shaped ring. With a D-shaped ring, and it's got a rope tied to it, okay? Now, uh, if and if you take a look, good look at that photograph, that CE-139A, and you compare it to the photograph uh, that was taken in uh, 1967, they did another photograph uh, where... Uh, they they tried to reproduce the shadows in that photograph. Yeah. They used an, I forget the guy. It's in, uh, uh, March 67. They did it on the exact same day, March 31st, that the supposedly backyard photographs were supposed to be taken. Okay. And they did this. Um, they did this photograph with a man named John Capel, C A P P E L, and uh, he took the photographs in the backyard at the same address, 214 Neely Street in Dallas. Now, the purpose of this uh, photographs, photography session was to recreate the shadow seen in the backyard photographs, but it did more than that. Having taken on the same day that the alleged backyard photographs of Oswald, it revealed a great difference in the status of the bush in the background. If you take a look at the bush to your right, Oswald's left, that was behind him, you'll see that the bush that in the backyard photographs is in full bloom. But the one that they took on the same date with John Capel, that bush is almost empty. Oh, wow. So that, photo, that backyard photograph was not taken in March of 1963. That, well, that photograph was taken later in the year after that, after that bush had been, uh, um, had bloomed. That's quality that's, analysis, man. You know, yeah, paying, and, paying and, attention and, to the details. Yeah. And, uh, so I think personally, I think that, uh, this photograph was, uh, taken sometime. These photographs were taken sometime. Late summer, early fall. That's my guess. And if you take a look at it, it's right around the same time frame where A. Hiddell makes his appearance in New Orleans uh, and where Klein Sporting Goods starts selling the 40-inch rifle and where the announcement of the president is going to be coming to Dallas and the hiring of Oswald at the Texas School Book Depository. This is all a time frame from August to mid-October 1963. That's what I think it was. I think these photographs were made then. I think this was all, he, once he got, once they got him back to Dallas at the beginning of October, it was just a matter of time. They were going to frame him for, for doing this. This was already in the works. This had been in the works for a while. Uh, Commission Exhibit 133's authenticity had another problem when examined by the commission's expert. It could not be matched to the Imperial Reflex camera that allegedly took the pictures. Like their ballistics, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, the 133A could not be matched to the Imperial Reflex camera because for two reasons. Number one, they did not have the negative. The negative, never, never, they were never found. And it did not have a sh- what they call a shadow graph area, which would on the photograph that would connect it with the, like you said, uh, kind of like a ballistic type of thing where it, the camera leaves markings on the photograph. Yeah. And and uh, so they didn't have the negative, and they didn't have the shadow graph information, so they could never identify that photograph, the one with the bottom sling mounts, as having been taken by that camera. Different rifle. Different rifle. Yeah. Uh, Different time of the year, it seems. Yeah, and, different time of the year. And they can't prove that it was taken from that camera. So this well, is they, all interesting If interesting they can't stuff. prove it was taken from the camera, it's it's like the ballistics evidence with uh, the rifle and the bullet, you know. Um, yeah. The magic bullet. 
Uh, yeah. I believe his guy. I believe his name was um, Bates. Um, we've talked about that before on the show. The FBI guy, the ballistics expert for the HSCA, who testified to them that they couldn't prove, to the exclusion of all other barrels, mm-hmm. that three ninety nine was fired through the Texas School Book Depository barrel. Well, he says it in plain English. Yeah. We cannot well, prove uh, this. All, all, you all, know, when the, when, the, when the House Select Committee tested the bullets. All of the 1963 bullets matched each other, okay? But when the House Select Committee test-fired bullets through the alleged murder weapon, the the C-2766 rifle, guess what? The bullets didn't match. They didn't match the 1963 bullets. Nope. None of them. Right. And you got to figure, I mean, if Oswald had lived past the 24th, Mm. you know, what good is that in, in a court of law? Yeah. It's not. You know, but that that blew my mind, and it was the same guy Bates that um, that that basically told him that you know what you said yeah. that, that well the the FBI test bullets for the Warren Commission don't match the ones I, I th- th- that I got. Yeah, you know? and so they 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 turn around and they said, well we we uh, the we we believe the uh, the bullets in '63 were fired from there because the shells matched. By the uh, firing pin impression and the uh, the breech marks on the uh, the bolt face marks on the bolt, but you know what, uh, Doug, that bolt could be changed. That bolt could have been changed, and those bullets fired in 1963 through a different rifle. Right. That bolt was very easy to change. All you had to do was push a button, and the bolt slid right out. Well, let me ask you this: the the rifle with the bottom mounted sling, right? Mm-hmm. The rifle with the side mounted sling. Even though those are different links, right? The rifles are. Are the bolts mm-hmm. interchangeable? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But I know. I know one thing. I know that the the FBI ordered a replica rifle. I think it was Commission Exhibit Five Forty Two that they ordered with the scope, just like the a, a replica rifle of the one they found on the sixth floor the Texas School Book Depository, and it was sent to them by Kleins. They ordered it from Kleins. Now, was that bolt interchangeable with the bolt that they found on the sixth floor? I don't know, but they should have tested it. They should have taken that rifle, that replica rifle, and tested that barrel to see if the, the that matched the bullets in 78, because if that matched the bullets in 78, regardless of the of what the shell said, if the bullets fired through that barrel matched the ones in 78, then they know that those 63 bullets were fired from that rifle. But yep. they never tested it. They never tested it. Well, they had their guy. They had yep. their guy. It's like Wade said at midnight on Friday. We've got him in a neat little bow. Yep. All like, tied like up. LB, LBJ called the uh, Dallas police and told uh, Fritz, you got your man, investigation's over. Yep. That's it. After after conferring with his good buddy Jay Edgar, right? Yep. Yeah. Got your man. Investigation's over. He told him the investigation was over before Hoover told him the next morning, hey, the guy on the tapes in Mexico, it ain't the same guy. Mm. <laughs> you know, by that time he had already called he had already called the Dallas and said, Good job, you got him. You got him. Shut it down, you know. Yep. You know, you can't tell you can't tell a thirty eight auto shell from a thirty eight special. You can't tell a white jacket from a grayish tan jacket. You can't tell a seven point six five Mauser from a uh, six point five Italian carbine. <laughs> yeah. But, 
but God damn it, you got the right guy on the first try. You got the right guy. Uh, yeah, and, <laughs> and he's not the guy in Mexico, but we're going to say he was the guy in Mexico. Yeah, I mean, it, what a joke. Oh, the whole thing, I, what a fucking shambles. And, you know, well, man, Paul Landis may be showing us that. Let me let me let me mention another thing about these photographs. There was another mm. photograph in 1967. George DeMorenshield, who was Oswald, I think was Oswald's CIA handler, he found the third backyard photograph in a slightly different pose. On the back of this photograph, it was written "Hunted or a fascist." Ha ha. Yep. The inscription was first written in pencil and then wrote gone over in ink. The House Select Committee's handwriting expert Joseph P. McNally testified that the writing was not the handwriting of Oswald or Marina. He said his his testimony was it is really? Russian written, but yeah, his Russian was written by somebody who was not particularly conversant in the language or someone who was below grade school level. So, this was someone with not much knowledge of the the Russian language. Well, my first my first. Uh... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My first impression would be, well, let's see if we can get uh, some Russian handwriting from Ruth Payne, because Ruth Payne was learning how to uh, speak the Lush Russian language. And uh, since she was learning the Russian language, I would I would ask her for a handwriting uh, sample if it was me. Who wrote it on the back? Who wrote that on the back? Nobody really knows. They, Nobody um, really knows. We, we have her calendar, which has a lot of her handwriting on it. I wonder if anybody's ever ever thought to compare those two. Um, I've read, I've read through her calendar on the John Armstrong archives website. It's in one of those notebooks. Um, but I wonder if anybody's looked at that to see if the handwriting on the back of that backyard photograph is anywhere close to Ruth Payne's handwriting. I don't know. Huh. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the Roscoe White image. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think he got that? 1976. There was another one, another photograph, uh, different pose, never seen before photograph. It was in the belongings of Virginia Dees, the widow of uh, Dallas police officer Roscoe White. And Roscoe White was not the only Dallas police officer who possessed backyard photographs. Uh, Stovall had the same exact photograph as Roscoe White. The House Select Committee uh, recovered it from him. And so no negative, but just the photographs. Where, where did these photographs come from? Why aren't they listed as evidence? Why weren't they ever shown to the Warren Commission? You know, this this tells me that these pictures are all made by the by the Dallas cops, because why wouldn't they uh, offer this uh, information these these photographs to the to the uh, to, to the House Select Committee? Well, the House Select Committee did see them. The Warren Commission, 
They were never ever. And all of these photographs, all of these photographs, the, the six photographs that the House Select Committee examined, which were the two photographs and the negative in the uh, uh, that the Dallas police claim they found, the two photographs, they because Stovall had a, a photograph of 133A and 133C, uh, Roscoe White had a photograph of 133C. So you had 133A, 133B, the DeMarn Shield photograph, and then uh, two photographs that Stovall had and one that uh, Roscoe White's widow had. All of these photographs were all examined by the House Select Committee on Assassinations, and they determined that they were all first-generation photographs, which means that they were all made by the, by the, same, by, by the original negative. Yeah. So where the, hell are, where the hell are the negatives? Where's the negatives to A and C? Man, those things went to a burn bag. I bet years ago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when the, when they did, when they were talking, the FBI expert was ta- testifying to the Warren Commission about how the photographs could have been faked without him knowing. He he uh, described the process where you would fake the photograph, take a picture, uh, take the photograph, take a picture of it, take the negative, then you would uh, uh, tamper with the uh, the negative. Uh, so that it wouldn't show. Then you take another photograph, take a photograph of that photograph, and then you would have uh, the uh, the picture that uh, he couldn't tell if it was faked or not. But he claimed he could tell if it was faked. He could tell if it was retouched. But if you retouch the negative and take a picture of the fo- of the photograph, uh, would you take the? Let me let me get this right now. If you take if you retouch the negative then make a photograph with that retouched negative, then take a photograph of the photograph, then it doesn't show. Ah, that's okay. What, that's what he was trying to say. It's confusing even for me. I got to stop and think about it. But it's possible. He, and that's what he said. He said, for this to be a composite, they would have had to make a picture of the background with an inv- individual standing there, then substitute the face and retouch it and prob- possibly re-photograph it re- and retouch that negative, make a print, that's a photograph, and then rephotograph it with this camera, which is Commission Exhibit 750, in order to have this negative, which we have had identified as the camera, with the camera, and is Commission 749. So in order to do it, you had to, it was a little, he claims that it wasn't, it wasn't possible, but it was possible. Why would he say it wasn't possible if it was? And so, and then there's the other thing that even if it wasn't uh, retouched, even if it wasn't a composite, Oswald's telling the cops, that's not even my face. Yeah. When you take yeah. A, when you when you take a look Tim at definitely not his. When you take a look at all of the photographs they claim is of Oswald, it's like six different Oswalds. I got them listed. Right? So it's it's like, it's amazing. It's yeah, like six man, different. Yeah, man, that guy went through a you know that guy went through a these guys lot don't even look alike. Changes in from from eighteen what, to twenty. Years? What was he? Twenty three when yeah. he died. Is that right? Twenty four. Twenty four. Yeah. Twenty four. So, so from eighteen so to twenty four, man, this guy's look oh, is. Yeah. Hairstyle yes. changed like a half a dozen times. His, his chin changed. His the shape of his head changed. Everything changed. He put on and, weight. Uh, he lost weight. <laughs> oh, it was awful. He yeah. grew. He shrunk. It was. It was. It was amazing. This guy was like Gumby. You could just shape him however you wanted. You know, it's it's amazing. So, <laughs> and then and then there's there's the clothes he was wearing. The black clothes he was wearing in the backyard photograph. Where are those clothes? There was never any clothes uh, in any of the searches that described the clothes he was wearing. He never had a black shirt. So wh- where's the black shirt? 
Uh, Even when it's they over at the uh, uh, Hydale's place. Ghost image that, that, that people have seen. The what? The the backyard photograph that has like a ghost image where it's not really a person. It's just yeah. a. You know what that is? That's a, a cutout. cutout. Where did that come from? That that that's a cutout that the Dallas police made of the the D's photograph, the one thirty three, what I call one thirty three C photograph, the Roscoe White photograph, and it's Oswald's image, but it's it's his image has been removed, and it's just a white, um, it's just white there. Now the and, the, the DPD made that win in well, sixty three, or is that that's yeah? Question. That's the question. Or is you know, that the point, possibly the point is, one of the steps? Part of the process. Yeah. The point, the, po- the point is, if they had the capability of doing things like that, they certainly had the capability of faking the photographs. See, that's the question. Is that, like Rob said, it was was that one with the cutout? Is it, What we're seeing there is something that should never have gotten out, but part of the process of making the final products. Right. You know, is that something that was cut out and prepared in order to put Oswald's face on something or a body, you know? Um, yeah, well, why, why else would you make something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only thing I could think of is somebody trying to figure out how it might be done might make one. But, uh, you know, that, that that one has always blown my mind. Like, you know, we could have you know, an actual piece of physical evidence in this one, the one with the cutout. I'm glad, Rob. I'm glad you mentioned that, Rob. Okay. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of like pretty much what I what I found about it. The, when the House Select Committee panel in, uh, achieved its conclusion that the photographs were all original, uh they were less than honest. It seems that they avoid addressing certain measurements of facial features of the Oswald in the photographs that had been brought to their attention, like the earlobes, the nose, and especially the chin. Yeah. The Oswald in the, in the photograph has a rounded chin, where the Oswald that was arrested by the Dallas police has a pointed chin. He has a cleft in his chin. In his chin. By avoiding these measurements, the panel's data is incomplete, and as such, its conclusion is nullified. Now, like I said, uh, I went through all of that, but Oswald said, that's not even my face. <laughs> yeah. Well, the and, backyard like I said, I put, I put a lot of those photographs together, and uh, and it seems to me that there were like six different Oswalds. And it could be. I mean, how many times have you seen somebody and say, gee, you know what? That guy looks familiar to me. You know, I've seen him somewhere before. Yeah. You know, and, and you get, but you can't remember where you've seen him. And this is, I think, what happens with the people that claim to see Oswald in North Dakota and Wisconsin and uh, in Timbuktu and everywhere else. I think it was just <laughs> I think it was just a case of mistaken identity. But all of these photographs that they put out here about Oswald, um, some of them, it's just it's too much of a change. It just it doesn't happen like that. Yeah, it doesn't add up. Doesn't add up. And I, I agree I with know. you. I think there are a lot of cases of mistaken identity. Um, in these witnesses that saw Oswald in all these disparate places, um, for sure, I do believe that. Um, like and, the right, the rifle, the rifle range. I mean, you know, come on, 
his wife says he went he went to shoot up two, three days before he went to shoot uh, General Edward General Walker. He buried his rifle. You ever hear of anybody burying a rifle and <laughs> no. using it no. using it at, without cleaning it first? I, I mean, know. Or uh, even what's even more ridiculous is that he he reassembled that rifle in the school book depository after it was completely tore down and pulled off the shooting of the fucking century by without sighting it in yeah. first, you know? Yeah. And the, and the so-called expert on the shooting said that it would have taken at least 10 shots to be able to scope the rifle in. Once the rifle was disassembled, yeah. you got to rescope it. Yeah. You, you got to scope it back in. You got to sight it in. It's just like, I can use the analogy of a guitar, right? Mm-hmm. You can, like take a guitar and take the bridge off if it's mm-hmm. set up right you pull the strings off pull the bridge off take the neck off and repaint it right mm-hmm. the body then slap everything on guess what it's not ready to play it's not going to stay in tune right you know um you have to set it up you have to set adjust the truss rod and adjust the bridge and you know that kind of thing with a rifle same thing if you take a rifle apart and put it back together with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It, there's no telling where the hell that bullet's going to end up if you aim it and fire it. Because yep. you haven't adjusted the sight. You haven't adjusted this, that. Sighted it back in. And yeah, and it, and you know what they said? They said the rifle was so accurate that they put all of the shots in the in the space of a dime. The Warren Commission in their report, they put all of, that rifle was so accurate that it put all of the shots that they that the FBI fired in the space of a dime. But you know what they didn't? But that was at fifteen yards. That wasn't at eighty five <laughs> yards. At eighty five at eighty five yards, you couldn't hit a bull in the ass. No, no, no. That rifle with that scope was so inaccurate that they never hit. What they aimed at, they couldn't hit anything because the rifle was inaccurate a, a different amount from shot to shot. Yeah. Let me let me give you an example. If if the rifle is five inches high and five inches to the right, then you can adjust for that. You can adjust for that. You can just aim five inches lower and five inches to the left, and you could you adjust for that. But if it's if if the rifle is two inches high and three inches to the right on the first shot, then four inches high and one inch to the right on a second shot and then five inches high and one inch to the left on the next shot. How the hell are you going to adjust for that? You can't, you, you can't. never know where it's going to hit on top of the you fact can't. that you're shooting at a moving target. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. It's not, right? a, it's not painted like a target. <laughs> I mean, how are you ever going to, how are you even going to see where the bullet, your first shot lands? Right. And react that fast and then see where your second shot hits and then react again for that. I mean, right. That's, 
you're not shooting at a white black and white target with with rings around it you know Kennedy, i think kennedy was, all... i think i think kennedy was shot from the front I, I i really do believe that i really believe that the shots were very very close i w- i wouldn't rule out i know people have said before it's been de- debunked but i would not rule out the storm drains as a source of of where those shots came from the car was coming towards them and they were under they were co- undercover they wouldn't get hit they wouldn't have to worry about stray bullets and and even some of the witnesses said that they saw smoke and they saw uh uh shots coming from the the storm drains they they said the sewer and right where kennedy gets hit in the head there's storm drains on both sides of the car and so i wouldn't rule it out i certainly wouldn't rule it out because of the evidence i've seen but you know Killing a pre, killing a pre, you know how hard it is to kill the president with a rifle at distance at 240 feet. It's very difficult. I don't care what they say about that scope. That's you couldn't hit anything with that that rifle. That rifle was a piece of crap. Not with that and, one, man. But but a but a Johnson 30-06 on a bipod from a rooftop with a with a oh, with that Bushnell scope that uh, and, Heming had put on it. Man, that thing. And you know, ooh, you can you reach know out they, and touch him and right you know on what the they said about that. You know what they said about that uh, Mauser? It was an Argentine rifle. That's one of the reports that it was an Argentine rifle they took out of that school book depository. I'm not saying they didn't take the Manlika Carcano. Yeah. I, I believe they found another rifle in that building. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and that was, I'm talking that about the, um, the Johnson 30-06 that came up mm-hmm. missing. You know, man, that thing had a bipod, and was it a 40-power Bushnell scope, Rob? I think it was 30 power 30 power but still man in duty plaza still, that yeah. uh that rifle uh by all accounts was a slick machine and uh you know that would i could see that man you know from a distance from the you top wanna, of a roof you want to see doug you want to see a, uh you want to see a uh, accurate rifle the 7.65 argentine mauser pretty good rifle go on, go on go on youtube and see take a look at the 7.65 argentine mauser and see how accurate that baby is. 300 yards, he's hitting the freaking gong at 300 yards. That's <laughs> that's an accurate rifle. And yeah. um, <laughs> I'm, I'm like you, though. I do believe, whether it was that one or not, I, I, I do believe they found another rifle in that uh, in the depository. Um, see, that's, that's what's you know, great Jim about... Garrison, that's what, wasn't Jim Garrison showing... Uh, and I've never seen the photograph, but I've heard the lore that he was showing a, a a photograph around during his investigation of the police bringing a rifle down from a down a fire escape of the depository. And I believe he claimed that was a Mauser. You guys yeah, familiar with that? Could be. Uh, I uh, I think they somebody has said that they found a British three hundred three uh, Enfield. Uh, 303 uh, on the roof. I thought that's uh, what I had read somewhere. But you know what? You hear so many different things that it's hard to, and without corroboration, it's kind of hard to to determine what's the truth and what isn't because yeah, man. Uh, the, the official version is definitely bullshit. And it's really hard to, because there's just so many different stories that you hear. And um, well, that's it's what... hard to determine. That's what we do here, man. We try to wade through them, you know. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to wade through. It really is. But you know what? And I really, I really do believe that in the end, the truth will come out. It'll have to. It'll have to. There's just there's just 
more to me, and my my website is mostly on the, uh, an examination of the case against Oswald. And to me, there's more than a reasonable doubt that he killed anybody. And he said it himself. He said, I didn't kill anybody. I got nothing against anybody. I've not committed any acts of violence. Any any uh, dispatches you people have been given, uh, I emphatically deny these charges. And I present this as evidence of the guy's innocence. And, and so the, the idiots uh, say, well, just because he said he was innocent doesn't mean he's innocent. Well, that doesn't automatically make him guilty, does it? I mean, what would you do if you had been wrongly charged with killing the president of the United States? How would you react? I, can't, you I, react couldn't, like, even, would, I couldn't even tell you. You know, Would you react like him? Uh, yeah, I would. I would be flipping out. Oh, Are you flipping kidding out, me? yeah. This yeah. is bullshit. I definitely this wouldn't be a, calm. This case is bullshit. Yeah, dude exactly. Was, and that's what he's saying. And dude he's was saying way calmer allow- than me. I would be, you know. They're not allowing me a lawyer. I've, I've been uh, I've been protesting that I wasn't allowed a lawyer. They, under Texas law, they were required to provide him with a lawyer the minute they arraigned him for Tippett's murder at 7 o'clock on Friday. That, that goes should've... back to uh, the way Henry Wade did business, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And so then they, they, they turn around, the, the cops that are at the, the arraignment go before the Warren Commission. The Warren Commission says, well, did he say anything during the arraignment? And the judge says, he might have said something, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> the cops, all of a sudden, the cops all have amnesia. They can't remember what he said. Yeah, he might have said something, but I, I, I wasn't listening. I didn't hear it. I didn't, not that I know of. You know, then, and you know how the cops are lying because one cop's turning around and says he never asked for a lawyer. And the other cop says he was offered a lawyer, but he refused it. Well, which one is it? You know, that's yeah. how you can tell when they're lying. Yeah. My, oh, my dad, that. my dad, my dad once told me when I was a young kid, he said, you know, the, the good thing about the truth is because he caught me in a lie one time. He says, you know what? It's a good thing about the truth. You never have to remember what you said. Damn right. And I, Damn and right. I, it's I never, a lot less to I remember. Never, yeah, I never forgot that for the rest of my life. And I must have been about, I don't know, seven years old or something at the time. But I never forgot that. And uh, and it's true. And and you know when the, the when they're telling you the truth and when they're lying is because if their stories match, chances are they're the truth. But if they're telling you different stories, something's wrong here. See, that's you know uh, that's a big thing with me, man. And I know Rob's the same way. If if the chances are, if someone's story changes over and over and over and over again, chances are it's bullshit. You know, um, yeah. From yeah, that's a red flag. From yeah. Madeline Brown to Antonio Vesiana, it's a red flag when your shit changes over and over and over and over again. You know. Um, one hundred percent. Well, guys, listen, we are up against a break. Y'all want to? Uh, we need to take a promo break. Gil, it's fantastic sure. work on the on, on the photos, brother. Fantastic. Thanks, uh, thanks, guys. We will be back right here on Quick Hits right after this. Big Bad Bob here with you for Silk City hot sauces. Why Silk City? Because this hot sauce comes to you directly from Patterson, New Jersey, also known as Silk City. These hot sauces are 100% natural, gluten-free, vegan, contain no chemicals, fillers, dyes, or junk. Everything is packed into recyclable glass containers because glass doesn't leach weird flavors into the product. All other hot sauces are sourced in small batches from locally bought fresh peppers. It's all about the pepper, people. Telling you. Your boy, Big Bad Bob, loves his food like he loves his women. Hot and spicy, but not so hot 
can't eat them. <laughs> so, if you love yourself some sauce and you're tired of trying to transform your bland meat into something edible, with the tip of a jar, you will transform your life forever. Head over to SilkCityHotSauce.com, place an order, and upon checkout, enter the code GUNMAN, that's G-U-N-M-A-N, for 20% off of your entire order. You won't regret it. Thank me later. Peace. Hey guys, Doug here with a special announcement. You know, this year, 2023, marks the 60th anniversary of the assassination of President John Kennedy in Dallas, Texas. And if you have never attended a JFK assassination research conference, I would like to strongly urge you to do so this year. Enrich your understanding of the event and help mark this important point in time with JFK Lancer and Larry Hancock at JFK Lancer's November in Dallas conference for 2023, unveiling truth, honoring the 60th anniversary of John F. Kennedy's legacy. This conference will take place, guys, Friday, November 17th through Sunday, November 19th of this year in Dallas, Texas at the fantastic Lorenzo Hotel in downtown Dallas. This year's conference promises, as always, to be an informative and enlightening one, not to mention enjoyable. The conference itself is over four months away, guys, and already the announced list of speakers and presenters is amazing. Parenthetically, it includes four past guests of the Dallas Action, and believe it or not, one Drop D podcast production co-host. Oh, yeah. Now, keep in mind, this list is incomplete as more speakers and presenters will be announced between now and November. But already, guys, the stellar list of those presenting reads as follows. Of course, Larry Hancock, the author of, among other books, Someone Would Have Talked and Tipping Point. Bill Simpich. Of course, the man, uh, in my opinion, State Secret, his book is the most analytically groundbreaking work on the Kennedy assassination in the last 15 years. Our friend Bart Camp with his new book, Prayer Man, More Than a Fuzzy Picture. Chuck Ocelli, the host of The Ocelli Effect. Jim Goshenar, Larry Schnopf, Stuart, Stuart Wexler, Greg Doudna, Joe Borelli, Rob Big Bad Bob Clark of the Lone Gunman Podcast and Quick Hits. Uh, dear friend of the show, Monica Perez Jimenez, the daughter of assassination witness uh, Marita Lorenz, along with names like Brent Holland, James Corbett, Johnny Cairns, Carmine Savastano, Jeff Meek, and Robert Nelson. Again, that's only what's been announced so far guys many more to come again more speakers will be announced soon now how do you attend well there are a multitude of options the first is in person get yourself on a plane and go to dallas in november now, if you do that 
in-person conference where you're sitting in the room with everybody. In-person conference attendance fee, $179.99. Now, if you go to the conference and you wish to download the presentations later, that's in-conference and digital download, $219.99. A student prize, if you got a student ID, guys, 35 bucks. Pretty good deal. Now, if you're unable to get to Dallas and soak up all of this knowledge and research in person, there is a virtual option. Virtual conference only from the comfort of your own home via the World Wide Web, $70.99. Virtual conference and digital download capability, $124.99. Now, for all the information you need to purchase tickets, any kind of tickets you need, Go to JFK Lancer Publications, all one word, dot com. That's JFK Lancer Publications dot com. One more time, JFK Lancer Publications dot com. Please join us for the highly anticipated 27th annual JFK Lancer November in Dallas conference as we commemorate the 60th anniversary of the death of John Kennedy. And we delve into the mysteries surrounding his untimely assassination. Again, jfklancerpublications.com, jfklancerpublications.com for your tickets, either in person or virtual, to the research event of 2023. We hope to see you there. And we're back. Quick hits number 48 at JFK Assassination Research News and Notes podcast with Rob Clark and myself, Doug Campbell, and our very special guest, the learned, the cool, Mr. Gil Jesus. Are you having a good time so far, Mr. Gil? Oh, yeah. I'm having a lot of fun. All right. That's what that's what we're here for. Informative and a little bit entertaining. And speaking of entertaining, Rob, what you got for us now? Uh, yeah. Speaking of, uh, getting a little bit more <laughs> outrageous, funny and entertaining, yeah. we got the email segment. E- emails. <laughs> hey, oh yes. Wait a minute. Mr. Bozeman. Emails on quick hits, quick hits, JFK at gmail.com. Right. Let me put my hand down here in my bag and feel around a little bit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We got quite a few today, Doug. Wow. Well, yeah, you 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 told me you're you're like, man, I'm not even. I I got Mm-mm. so many emails. I'm not even bringing a topic because in your email segment there will be contained within many topics. You said so. Many topics. Many yes. topics. Well, I'm ready, man. I'm ensconced. What about you, Mister Gill? Oh yeah, we're ready. All, All right. right. First up. <laughs> First up, we got an email from one of our favorites, Gil, and that's Tim the Eugenicist Sweatpants. Yeah. We like All this right. guy. This is, uh, hey, Bobby and Sir Douglas, I have a new book coming out in a change of pace. I'm not the author on this one. I am the editor. It was written by my dear friend, Glenn Titanic, and called What They Really Meant, Deconstructing Famous Statements from History. <laughs> That's an allusion, Gil, to uh, uh, 
Leno Sanic trying to uh, put words in Oliver Stone's mouth uh, from from our last show. What he meant to say was... <laughs> yeah, he didn't say what he said. What he said was... <laughs> yeah, it's always... Says, uh, uh, it's, a fat. it's always always interesting to to hear somebody's interpretation of what somebody else said. Uh, well, yeah, it especially was, when it... That you, should be a bestseller, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, continuing here, he says, It's a fascinating read, and in it, Glenn dissects famous words and using his psychological and mind-reading uh, powers tells us what the originators actually meant to say. Hold on to your hats. You'll be shocked at what you read. Here are a few examples of the truth as Glenn gives it to us. Number one, the quote, Houston, the eagle has landed. He said what they were actually saying was, Houston, we are hovering over the moon set in this here hangar. <laughs> Next up, Churchill's, we shall fight them on the beaches. It was in fact, we'll wait until they get off the sand, climb the cliffs, march 50 miles inland, and then think about what we'll do. And of course, Jim Garrison's famous back and to the left, back and to the left, back and to the left. Turns out to have really been, yeah, sort of forward and to the right. You can pre order the book now on Amazon. It's in the fantasy section. He says, I have to run now. I have a new girlfriend. Oh, wow. And I'm taking her on a first class double dinner date with Glenn and partner to celebrate the publication. And McDonald's closes at 10 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> he says, Barb is great, by the way. She's really helping me with my exercise and weight loss program. She really motivates me and won't let me slack. If I give in to the temptation of several cheeseburgers, she'll immediately take me in hand and lick me into shape. Yes, Ooh. as I'm sure you know, it's great to have somebody who will hold your hand, or I'm sorry, who will hold your end up. When you're flagging. Anyway, I'm a bit anxious because the last time we tried an event like this with Glenn, he couldn't get a date. So instead, he brought along his inflatable Fletcher Prouty doll. <laughs> inflatable oh. Fletcher Prouty doll. Yes. You can Boy, imagine our embarrassment so when he blew up the inflatable Fletch. <laughs> oh, hey, hey Doug. <laughs> Guess, guess where the inflator was for inflatable flesh. That was creepy as hell. But the speed at which he went from, but the speed at which he went from deflated and flaccid to erect in his seat was a testament to Glenn's lung power. Sincerely, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Oh boy. Oh boy. See, Gil, oh, we got boy. these crazy-ass listeners. Yeah, I mean, uh, where did they get this stuff from? I don't know. They're creative. They're creative. They are. Yeah. Had I, had they, I... they take they, they take little pieces of what we say and then and turn it into this crazy, crazy thing. I love it. All right, next up, we have an email <laughs> from Hugh, Hugh Anusworth. Hugh Anusworth, yes. Hugh, Hugh Anusworth. Yeah, wasn't he a reporter? 
Yeah, that was Hugh Ainsworth. Oh, yeah. oh okay. This is Hugh, another one of our Hugh Anus. Oh, okay. Hugh Anusworth. All right. <laughs> He's more of a street level guy. Yeah, more of uh, an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. I get it. I get it. All right. Good day, gentlemen. The JFK assassinations is a topic of never-ending interest and fascination to many of us. As we know, people can have differing views on the subject and invest a large amount of their time in reading and research. At the same time, polls show a consistent majority who believe that there was, in fact, a conspiracy. Yep. I wonder, though, if many people in the general population really care about finding the truth. Despite such provocative statements like those from RFK Jr. recently, the whole subject doesn't seem to gain much traction with the general audience. For this reason, I doubt we'll ever find the truth, or will it ever matter? What do you think? Are people in general really interested? And if not, why do you think that is? Gil, you want to take that one? I think people are interested. I yeah. think there are still some people that are interested because uh, uh, you get you 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 yourself know that you get response from your program. I get emails all the time. Uh, most of them uh, want want me to uh, allow comments on my videos, uh, which I'm not about to do. <laughs> and uh, you got your you. comments. You got your comments. That's fine. I don't care about your comments. All I care about is evidence. Um, but. Uh, I think there's a there's a general interest on in it because especially today with the the government telling so many lies to the people, uh, I think that people want to know the truth. People have a hunger for the truth. What did that guy say in the in the, in the movie JFK? He says people are, people are suckers for the truth. He's telling the Garrison character that was uh, I think that was supposed to be Proudy, Mr. X. He says uh, people are suckers for the truth, and the truth is on your side. And so. I think uh, people want to know the truth. I think uh, some people don't want to know the truth, and those are the ones that you'll never convince. But there are some people out there. Don't forget, this is a whole new generation of people who never knew JFK, never lived during those years. You know, I remember as a young kid, uh, maybe seven or eight years old, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and uh, and the president saying, I remember watching TV, and he's saying that night. It'll be the policy of this country to con- to consider any missile fired by Cuba against any uh, nation in this hemisphere as a Soviet attack on the United States requiring a full retaliatory response on the Soviet Union. And I'm saying to myself, I'm looking at my mother saying, this is the end. Even I, you know, at a young age, I'm saying to myself, this is it. I mean, if they launch any of those missiles, we're it's a, it's a nuclear war. And uh, so... People don't know that kind of fear. People have never been under that kind. We have a whole generation of people who've never been under that kind of a, a threat before. And uh, so they need to know the truth. I think they want to know the truth. Um, they can say no conspiracy existed, but hey, there was there was a conspiracy against Lincoln. Uh, I mean, yep. Kennedy, was remo- Kennedy was removed because the deep state wanted him out of office. And they had Johnson waiting in the wings. That was it. You know, that's what I believe. You want to know who killed America, who killed uh, JFK? America killed JFK. And in the best way I can describe it, America killed JFK. All of the the institutions of America teamed up and it was just too much for him. There's no way he could there's no way he could uh, he could turn America into a different direction, uh, an America of peace and stuff. This is a 
major, major war machine that we have in this country. It has been for a long time. When I was a kid, my mother said to me, uh, I said, why do we go to war? And she said, because it's good for the economy. And yeah. that's it. You know, Kennedy wanted to take us in a different direction. And uh, the CIA, I believe the CIA was the one that coordinated the whole thing. And they coordinated it with their, their pals in Dallas to take him out. And... But yeah, I yeah, think, I think people want, JFK I think was people so want to know. charismatic and likable and funny yeah. and relatable. Yeah. And, you know, you know he what? came across to the American people so well that, yeah. I mean, dude, he could have banged Marilyn Monroe on national television and nobody would have cared. No. You know what I mean? So they couldn't no. character assassinate this guy. No. They had to actually assassinate this guy. No. You know what I mean? And the thing is, he had he had that kind of personality. He had that magnetism where he could draw people to him you know what i mean he smiled yeah. he went into the, he went into the crowds he wasn't afraid <clears throat> he was he was time and time again he was warned don't go to dallas it's too dangerous you know don't go to dallas people said they sent him letters people went to washington to tell him don't go to dallas they're going to kill you if you go down there and you know his thing was look i'm the president of the whole country i can't be afraid to go anywhere I've got, you know, and plus he wanted to, he had a message. He wanted to tell the people down there, don't listen to these right-wing extremists, these freaking, these nutcases who think that, uh, you know, this communism that would poison in the water and everything else. Don't believe this bullshit, you know? You know, we to run, me, we, I, Kennedy, he, like Eisenhower was, was who Eisenhower was. He was General Eisenhower, right? Um mm -hmm. I don't think he was the Pentagon, the Joint Chiefs, the military necessarily had to intimidate him, you know, or scare him into doing what they wanted. But Kennedy was different in that he was not, he was a Navy vet, but he wasn't, he, you know, he wasn't necessarily establishment, Washington establishment, national right. security establishment. And I think they thought with his youth, with his inexperience, they could bully him. They could, yeah, they could push him they, around right. exactly. But he wasn't scared of them. No, and he wasn't going to be bullied. No, and he let him know. Well, he let him know without a doubt in April of '61. Yep, and he was not going to be bullied into doing whatever the fuck they wanted. Nope. Um, you know, he was a threat also because I think he wasn't scared of them. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yep. no fear. And, and I think between no him and his brother, he had somebody to bounce ideas off of. And these guys are both, you know, Ivy League educated. They're smart. They're thoughtful. And, uh, you know, they had a, a very good, very strong family bond. And they, they were anti-corruption, anti too. They wanted to clean yeah. up the government for good. They 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 tried to clean up the labor unions uh, during the during the uh, the Kafava uh, meetings, and they they wanted to clean up the government too. They were gonna they were going after uh, um, Lyndon Johnson's boy there, and uh, yeah. right. And so they they wanted to clean things up. They wanted to make peace with the Russians. These are all things that. You didn't do things like this. You didn't. You didn't do that. You didn't make speeches that we need to reconsider our own attitude towards the Russians. The American foreign policy at the end of World War II was always uh, a policy of containment: stop communism from spreading anywhere in the world. That was it, regardless of the cost. 
Kennedy was kind of like, well, you know what? If the people want to vote for communist government, let them have the communist government. As long as they can vote it back to Democrat later, who cares? He was, he was dealing with Tito in uh, Yugoslavia. He was dealing with other communists. He tried to save Patrice Lumumba from being assassinated, uh, but he, it was too late. The CIA had already beaten him to the, to the punch. But he, he wasn't... Uh, he was already considering reconsideration uh, on the American position in Cuba. He sent uh, feelers out to Castro to see how he thought about reconciliation. Uh, you know, you didn't do things like this as president of the United States. These were acts of treason uh, that these people saw as acts of treason. And so when it came time, you know, we got to get rid of this guy. You know, think about it. If you if you had that kind of a uh, a, a, a uh, uh, a basis, a foundation of thinking things like that, that people were meeting around the country discussing how are we going to kill the president of the United States? How are we going to kill him? Joseph Miltier and his tie, he knew it. He knew how they were going to do it. They're going to kill him from oh, an yeah. office building with a high powered rifle. Yeah, and, man, that guy. And he even says it's in the works. So get that. So, they, so the FBI goes and questions him. All right. They've got him on recording. They have a recording of him on tape saying these things. He denies saying all of it right then and there. Right then and there. They should have turned around and said, you know what, pal, you're under arrest. I hope you don't have nothing to do for the next five years because you're going to federal prison for lying to a federal agent, uh, making false statements to a federal agent. They should have arrested him right on the spot. But they, you know what they did? Oh, you weren't there. You weren't in Dallas. Oh, you didn't have said that. OK, fine. They let him go. Yeah, That's basically, ba basically said bullshit. he said, "Oh, I was just running my mouth off bullshit." Yeah, you know, That's but bullshit, man. You know what, Gil and and me and Rob talked about this years ago, man. Um, but there was a politi a hard right political convention, um, the first weekend of November in Indianapolis called it was the Constitution Party's convention, and I've often mm -hmm. thought that. <clears throat> Miltier got his information there because he was there and so was Edwin Walker, General Walker, and so was mm -hmm. Guy Bannister. And so was Leander Perez. Mm -hmm. You know, and so were some Cuban exiles, you know. But I've often thought because it was it was like 7 8 days later, I think the built the Somerset tape was made on the 7th or 8th, if I'm if I'm yeah. right. Yeah. Um where Mil Miltier spills this information. So he's only been back from that that convention where Perez and Bannister and um, Walker were all at at the same time. So I've always, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the back of my mind wondered, man, is that where he got that information? Was, you know, the week before at that, just looking at who it, all was it, it there, could, you know. It could very well be because there was a woman who attended a, 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 some kind of a meeting, a student meeting at... Uh, Rutgers University in New Jersey, and she it was in the first week of November, and she was she was she understood Spanish. She was Cuban, I guess, a Cuban American, and she under she heard these two Cuban students over overheard them talking, uh, or overheard somebody a Cuban student talking on the phone to someone else, and he's telling them that they, that Kennedy's going to be assassinated, publishing building. A building that houses school publishing uh, office in Dallas. Now, <clears throat> she claims that she reported this to the FBI in New York because her parents lived in New York. So she, when she got home, she called the FBI office. FBI had no record of it. Okay, but here's here's the information 
that she they finally interviewed her later after the assassination. She claimed that she had reported this the first week of November to the FBI in New York, and they said no, they never had, they, they didn't have any record of it. She just said the name of the, the person she talked to, and her mother even backed up that yeah, she made the phone call, and I was right there when she made the phone call, but the FBI never had, and nobody ever investigated. Why didn't the FBI have this information? You've got two witnesses saying that the phone call was made. Why? Why? What happened to that information? <clears throat> and and, and Dallas... not only that, but you know the the FBI, of course, didn't do anything with that information. You know, they didn't do anything with anything they received. They didn't, they didn't do, any... do any. They didn't forward anything from Miltier's uh, no nope. confession tape to to the nope. Secret Service. Nope, either. never did. Nope, nope, never did. Mind blowing. Yeah. Well, they they wanted it to ha Hoover wanted it to happen. That's why. Well, yeah. Hoover would have yeah. Hoover squashed everything. Uh, Hoover went. Hoover wanted it to happen. This is what I mean is, Hoover should have been charged with accessory before the fact, because, uh, but he there was no way he was going to do that. Him and Johnson were close. You know these guys they let they let the people who were really responsible for this get away with it because it saved their jobs. Are you going to bite the yeah. hand that fed you? Are you going to bite the hand that gave you the presidency, the one thing you always wanted? Are you going to bite the hand that saved your job at the, as, as director of the FBI? Of course not. They're not going to do anything about it because they, they, they benefited from it. So, But it, that's what happened was this, this Elizabeth, Cole, Elizabeth Cole claimed that, that she had heard this. And it was, you could almost say it was the Texas School Book Depository because th that building housed book publishing companies that it was supposed mm -hmm. to be it was supposed to be uh there was fire shots were going to be fired from a, a book publishing building in dallas i mean it's just it, you know it, it's so sad because once they started getting threats uh, for, about kennedy he never should have been they never should have let him ride in an open car in that town never that never should have happened if they were going to if he was going to go into dallas it should have been by they should have helicoptered him in just like they did in Miami. They should have helicoptered him in. They never, ever should have uh, should have allowed him to ride. They should have never done a motorcade through the middle of town. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, just put him in the car and take him to the trade. <laughs> and then at Love Field, field they tell If the, you want to see him, go pay your fee and yeah, at Love field, they buy tell your the, plate the, and go the see The motorcycle him. escorts, they change him. Instead of having four on each side of the car, they they reduce them to two and move them back to the, to the rig water. They tell them... We don't want you. We don't want you going past the rear wheels of the car. And then they turn around and they tell the motorcycle officers, if anything happens, you are not to. You are not to. Uh, you are to maintain your position regardless of what happens. That's exactly what they were told. Now they take well, the Marion general. Baker didn't listen very well. They they, <laughs> they take the general out of the front seat of the car to get him out of the line of fire. They take. They tell uh, General uh, Admiral Berkeley that he's got to ride further back. They they do they do away with the what they usually have is a flatbed truck in front of the president's limousine to film the the motorcade, and all of those news people and those uh, cameras and stuff they move them back to convertibles further back in the motorcade, so that they they don't get to see anything. They can't film anything. They can't take any pictures, and they're not around the president when he's slaughtered, and all of these things that the last minute changes are being done at Love Field. And Berkeley, uh, uh, he uh, he he uh, protested, but it wasn't any good. They claim, oh yeah, well, you can't ride in the car behind the president. President's a backup car because Johnson and uh, his his group uh, jumped in there. Uh, it's just it's just too much. 
You know what I mean? It's just there's just too yeah. much information. There's just too many things that happen to say that this is all a coincidence. This is that's bullshit. This was planned. They they took Kennedy. They brought him into an ambush. They killed him, and they did the same freaking thing to Oswald two days later. Period. That's it. Yep. All right, and then Hugh goes on to say, "Did um, he give a shout out to my dear friend and faithful listener to your show, James Flanagan?" So, James, what's up, James? Thanks for listening. And uh, he says, "Who I know is always kind enough to value." any input from myself and my colleague Jones Mellons. Best wishes Hugh Amosworth. Uh, thank you Hugh. Appreciate it buddy. Yes, thank you Hugh. That's who, We haven't heard from Jones Mellons in a long time, Doug. My God. Uh, no, we have not. Maybe uh, I don't know, man. Maybe she needs to unleash him again and let it, let him out of the let him out of the old brawl and yeah. Give, send us an email next month, Joan. Maybe she's floating the river. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe she's out of season. She might be. <laughs> Those melons might be out of season. You never know. All right. Next up, we have one from who? Who? George Abbott. I think this one's legit. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> we, and Gil, we're to the point now where we legitimately don't know until we get finished with the email. Okay. This says, hello from London. I'm a <clears throat> big fan of your work. After discovering your podcast, excuse me, I binge your content over the process of one month and have learned and laughed a lot. Your show is a great depository, huh, pun intended, of research, current thinking, and debate on the subject. The assignation, I think he's supposed to say assassination, is fascinating to me as for every detail which is perfectly planned to avoid too many dots being joined together by future researchers and law enforcement. There are just enough iffy details which show that this was not a lone nut acting alone, but a nearly perfectly executed assassination. Again, I think it's George. I love you, but you got to learn how to spell assassination, bro. It's not that hard. It's ass ass I nation. <laughs> ass ass okay? I nation. I have never not thought of it that way. Ignation. For example, the paperwork for the gun, which has dates which are out of order and suggest fabrication which is perfectly paired with a clear chain of custody between Oswald, the Heidel alias fair play for Cuba committee and the rifle. I thought you might be interested in hearing some of my thoughts. Uh, boy, on some of the smaller details of the case, which have really fleshed out the conspiracy for me. The key difference between a lone nut and a conspiracy is that a lone nut is likely to hand themselves into law enforcement. Well, I don't know about that and believe they are acting under some greater good. Mm, I don't know about that either. Take Andres Brevik, who was behind the Norwegian mass shooting a decade ago. A conspiracy, on the other hand, has a beginning, middle, and end, with each part as important as the others. The escape route has always bothered me, as this was just an important part of the plan as the shooting itself. 
eyewitness and ear witness testimony supports some kind of shot being fired from or near the school book depository. If, as I strongly suspect, Oswald never handled a gun that day, then how did the shooters exit the school book depository without being seen? Let's pause right there because there's a lot to unpack in this email. Uh, Gil, what do you think about if there was another shooter in the school book depository, how they got out so quick? What do you think about that? Well, there were witnesses who claimed they seen people, they seen men running out the back entrance of the school book depository. Um, I think, uh, I don't know if it was James Orell who said that. Yeah, he's uh, one of them. And uh, there were... Richard Randolph Carr. When Richard Randolph Carr, I think he was one. Uh, see if I can find anybody else. There was a car full of ladies over there, too, on Houston Street, so they saw somebody come out the back as well. Yeah. Uh, there were a few people who said they saw people running out the back the back entrance. Uh, the police. But how did they get down from the sixth floor Well, out of know, the building without being seen? Well, they, they may have been seen. Uh, and what, uh, when you, if you take a look at uh, Marion Baker, you take a look at his original uh, deposition, his uh, affidavit, uh, he said that uh, he encountered someone on the third or fourth floor, and he was wearing a brown jacket, a tan jacket. Uh, now, That's right, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah he, he was wearing a, a, a tan jacket, and if you... Uh, read some of the witnesses what they described the men they saw in the window uh, at least one of them said the guy had a tan jacket so the, it could very well be that they got out of the building or barely got out of the building and he said that with the guy with the tan jacket um, that uh, uh, what's his name Roy, Roy Truly uh, vouched for him huh. so now, if this is one of the shooters, and Roy truly is vouching for him as being an employee, and he isn't an employee, and he's up there shooting from the sixth floor, and he gets caught on the fourth, third or fourth floor by the cops, and, and truly vouches for him, that means truly is involved in this. I mean, yeah, that's true. Because how else, how else can he, uh, can he get away unless Roy truly vouches for him? So. And truly was uh, anti-Kennedy anyways. According to uh, William Manchester in his book, The Death of a President, truly didn't like uh, Kennedy. He felt he was, uh, he was uh, one of these people who uh, Kennedy was wanted the racist to mix. And uh, he wasn't in favor of that. Yeah. Uh, he didn't like truly, he, truly was definitely a racist as well. Yeah. He didn't I've like, seen some of his quotes that'll make you yeah. cringe. My some, God. Of, some of his tr testimony, too, uh, in regard to the yeah. black employees uh, and yeah. – uh, yeah, man, that, he was a racist POS, no doubt. Yeah, and and the whole ba building was racist because the black black workers had to have their lunch in the domino room. Yeah. They weren't allowed second floor lunch room. Well, it was uh, it was uh, Texas in 1963, man. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's Texas and Southern justice. Yeah, 1963, and that's why they say Oswald had his lunch in the second floor lunch room. Who says that? Who said that? Who said Oswald had his lunch in the second floor lunchroom? If anything, uh, a Marxist would want to uh, 
uh, sit in the in the Domino room and have his lunch with the downtrodden. I would think, but anyways, that's just an opinion. Yeah. But I mean, there were people that 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 didn't belong there that were seen in the building apparently, and uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, they were seen leaving the building and and such. And the thing is, even if the cops had caught him in the building, uh, truly would have vouched for them. So all they needed was his his okay and. And uh, they were they were out free. All right, he goes on to say here, based on testimony, they must have been on the sixth or seventh floor, or the roof, and exited via the back of the building, as the front entrance was far too crowded with law enforcement and other witnesses. But until recently, I was not aware of any eyewitnesses which would support a potential conspirator's exit from the rear of the building, which. We just talked about uh, as well. Uh, some people did see somebody leaving from the rear of the building. Uh, however, testimony about the Great Plymouth on the street behind the school book depository on North Houston, and even a possible sighting of Tippett is convincing enough for me that an escape plan for the shooter did exist, complete with a rifle. This could be a potential getaway driver, which would allow a fast exit from the scene, not using roads congested with post assignation assassination traffic holdups unpicking the chain of custody of key pieces of evidence which we've talked about here as well today and the scope for potential tampering of evidence which we've also talked about here today which places oswald with the rifle in the building is an important part of building the case for i think it was malcolm who said a crowbar was found on one of the window sills on the sixth floor Actually, it was a hammer, leading to the possibility the gun was planted after this event. I was amazed to hear this, but perhaps I shouldn't have been surprised, given all the other evidence around the rifle that is weak. This adds to the mountain of physical evidence which lone nuts use in support of their position, which has a poor chain of custody and is not as straightforward as it seems. The question of why the shooter in the school book depository did not shoot on South Houston Street which is objectively an easier shot has always bothered me. Uh, a lot of researchers bring that up, but actually, and this not comes from experience or anything, but uh, there was a video game uh, put out a couple of years ago, it was a, com a computer game that allows you to recreate the shooting in Dealey Plaza. And the game starts when the limo turns onto Houston Street. And you're open the sixth floor window, and you got the rifle right there. Okay, it's actually pretty damn hard to track a moving target coming at you. It's actually harder because you have to keep you have to keep trying to catch it unless you go ahead of it. Um, well, you kind of want to back up. Actually, would, I would think. Yeah, instinct I mean, it, that's coming at car you. Car moving away from you is an easier target, as because you're raising up. You're not lowering your rifle down. And it seems like um, the, your field just of from vision doing it that way. Your yeah. field of vision grows as it's moving away from you versus shrinks as it's moving toward you. So yeah, I get what you're yeah, saying. Not totally. to mention you got you got to thread a pretty close needle, or you're going to take Connolly's head off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, you got to be pretty dead on to hit Kennedy. Um, 
you know, because you're shooting over top of the car, over top of the passenger, over top of Conley to get to JFK. And there's a very small window as you're tracking them down, moving down Houston Street toward the depository. It's it's just a very hard rifle track. I'll say that. And once he's moving away from you on Elm Street, you know, he's your primary. You have him from behind. Um, you don't have to go through anybody else. You're you're up high, so you're over top of everybody else. Um, but the trajectory is there to it's that's who you want to kill. You know, you, you have the greatest chance of success doing it that way. At least it was easier for me, you know, playing this recreated uh, game. But um, back to the email. Uh, on your show, you suggested that the limo seating plan wouldn't have been known ahead of time. So seeing the Texas governor sitting in front of JFK, which given the angle of the shooter from the school book depository and the quality of the rifle would be relatively high risk shot, which I just said. Yeah. You know, because you have a very, you know, narrow threading the needle type situation if you're aiming for JFK behind Conley and they're moving towards you. Uh, the use of radios or walkie-talkies on that day is something which is bothering me. Pictures of the dark-complected man and umbrella man certainly seem to suggest a radio was being used by the dark-complected man. But how freely available would those have been in 1963? Would they have been expensive or need training to be used? It's details like this which suggest the involvement of people with military training or connections, which only go to support the idea of a high-level conspiracy. Not necessarily. I believe Jim Garrison. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you got to remember, and I was telling somebody this the other day, um, you know, and, and, and back to his point about, or, or maybe it was the previous emailer, I can't remember, about interest, you know, and, and general public interest. Um, there have been more than more than once, twice, maybe three times in the last month, people have asked me about what podcast I do, and they get, Oh, well, what do you think happened? It, it does seem like I'm running into people who are interested in it more, you know, not on the Internet, like in person. But as like I was telling them, I'm of the opinion that the operation came out of anti-Castro operations, anti-Castro paramilitary activity. And you got to remember, these Cuban exile guys, there's a bunch of them. They were recruited. Right. They went to U.S. Army Ranger School. Right. And then when they got out of yep. ranger school, they went to SEAL school. <laughs> yep. Both. These were the baddest of the bad motherfuckers, and they were off the books. You know? Oh, yeah. well, it had and to be. And stuff like uh, walkie-talkies wouldn't have been uh, nothing. totally crazy. They might nothing. have been big and bulky back then, but they certainly worked. These um, guys, like. They certainly had them. Like who you know, I think Dark Complected Man was was Philippe Vidal Santiago. Whether or not that was him with that radio in Dealey Plaza, whoever that was, was very familiar with using them. And we know, we already know about the amount of money and equipment, much less training, went into these anti Castro operations. So <clears throat> getting their hands on these radios probably wasn't a big deal either. You know? Right. But uh, yeah, you got to yeah. think about that. Or they probably a lot of them probably already had them from, you know, running these uh, raids into into Cuba. You know, post exactly. the uh, Bay of Pigs. You know, you want to be able to communicate with other people on other boats. 
you know, walkie talkies are ideal. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like everybody had cell phones back then, you know? Yeah, I did if, if Santiago telling uh, Hargraves, uh, make sure everybody's got their radios. There you go. Right? Easy. Yeah. All right, he goes on to say, I believe Jim Garrison may have mentioned they were used during the day uh, in an interview pre-trial, but what is there any strong evidence of that? Um, which we just addressed. Uh, so the testimony, uh, not sure from whom, suggests Oswald was on the knoll after the shots and ran into a getaway car. Roger Craig. And I believe he's talking yeah. about uh, Roger Craig here, not actually the grassy knoll as we think of it, but more right beside the school book depository, you know, where the grass starts. Um. And he says, if he was on the steps of the school depository as the shooting was happening, if he was prayer man, he must have had some foreknowledge of a plan to get out of such an incriminating situation. And that's assuming that he was witting to what the hell was going on. <laughs> uh, I think, So he must have ran. Yeah. I think when the shots went off, he went, oh, shit. And he knew immediately who did it. I, I, I truly believe that. He knew who set him up. You know, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. It had to have been, you know, fill in the blank. I do think he went to his grave with. And like Bart says, okay, so if if this guy on the steps, this the guy in the fuzzy picture, if that is Oswald on the front steps, as Bart says, you know, alleges that he is, you know, Bart also alleges that the second floor lunchroom encounter never happened and is totally fabricated bullshit okay so we really don't know what oswald's movements were immediately after the shots you know if if he was prayer man what did he do at knows if if the second floor lunchroom encounter is legit then where what happens after that nobody knows and with all the photos and film being taken in Dealey Plaza and around that depository that day that you do not catch Oswald on any of these photos or films, leaving the building, walking down the street, or anything like that, nobody really knows when he left or how he left uh, the building. So I don't think you can just discredit Roger Craig's version of events. Uh, and you can't really put a whole lot of faith in the the whole uh, bus ride slash taxi ride home either. So I don't know where you fall on this, Gil. Well, I don't believe he was ever in the bus or the taxi <clears throat> because it doesn't See, it doesn't make there sense. You go. I don't believe that he was in, in either one because nobody identified him in, as being in the bus. The only one who identified him was the taxi driver. He well, Bledsoe did, but. Well, yeah, but she had a stroke, and uh, she didn't. She she could she couldn't tell. Uh, she couldn't tell a pickle from a banana, and uh, um, her her she plus she owed him money. She she said his face was distorted and everything. How can you how do you do, identify someone if their face is distorted? Her her cognitive uh, uh, ability was not too good. Uh, she had had a couple of strokes and. Uh, Nobody else on the bus said it was Oswald. Um, he had supposedly he had a bus pass on him that had been uh, punched by uh, 
McWaters, Cecil McWaters, but uh, the Dallas police that could have been fabricated later. Yeah, yeah. Dallas police had access to his to his uh, ticket bar, uh, book, so what uh, makes you think that they didn't do it themselves? Uh, and plus, he's, McWaters said when the police approached him at 6.30 at night, they stopped him in front of the police station as he was going by on his bus. And he said, uh, oh, you you gave out a transfer over at uh, such and such street, Irvie Street, I think it was, or something like that. And, you know, there's no way. On, how would the cops know that? How could the cops possibly know that the streets are not listed on the bus transfer? So they couldn't possibly know where he gave the, the ticket out, the uh, bus transfer out at. So I think it was all a bunch of baloney that there. And as far as McWaters, uh, as far as uh, uh, William Whaley goes, uh, the, the t uh, taxi driver, he testified that Oswald offered to give the taxi to another woman uh, who had gotten to the taxi the same time as he did. He offered to give it to her. And she said, no, she'll get another one. Why, you know, here's a guy who killed the president and he's in a big hurry to get out of the city and he's offering a taxi to somebody else. <clears throat> yeah. You know? And then he takes the taxi and he goes, what, four, five, four or five blocks beyond his, his rooming house and turns around and walks back. And then Whaley says he didn't walk in the direction of the rooming house. He walked the opposite way. So that's not Oswald. Whoever his passenger was, it wasn't Oswald. Because uh, why would you do that? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you yeah. walk south when, you're, when your apartment is north? Uh, so... Uh, I don't believe he was in Whaley's cab either. I think Whaley picked up a passenger, but it wasn't Oswald. He, he went to the cops and told him the next Unless day that he, he, was... thought, he thought it was Oswald, but it wasn't. Then he's got Oswald wearing both jackets. They show him which jacket was he wearing when he got in your cab. And uh, he's like, um, you know, he's, he's wearing both of them, one on top of the other. You know, so, I mean, it, it, it's just his testimony was ridiculous. It, it was, obviously wasn't Oswald that he had picked up. And so uh, how did Oswald get out of there? Well, where, where did he go? Who knows? You know, uh, I mean, you Roger Craig said he got right. in the, he, Roger Craig said he got in the station wagon driven by a dark complected man. Even the Dallas police, uh, police chief, when he was in the hallway, was saying, uh, you know, we're looking for the Negro that picked him up. You know, we understand that he was picked up by a Negro and, and we're looking for him. And anybody who has any information, uh, let us know, you know, come and tell us. So you have that, and then you have Oswald supposedly saying during his interrogation that the station wagon he got into belonged to Mrs. Payne. Well, maybe Mrs. Payne picked him up. Who knows? But uh, it's not corroborated. It's an allegation. But uh, who knows how he got out of there? The thing is, he got back to his apartment. Ruth Payne in blackface. Yeah, Ruth Payne in blackface. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? Nowadays, you can never. Who knows? <laughs> You got politicians doing blackface and everything else. And the thing about that is, you know, Craig was backed up by, I think, two other witnesses who were actually behind. Yeah. That Rambler station wagon who saw it pull yeah, over it. and pick people up. They were interviewed by the FBI, and also uh, and John what, Martin what, Jr. I think one woman said, if it wasn't Oswald, it was his exact twin. Yeah. And John Martin Jr. He filmed a little bit in Dealey Plaza from El from Houston Street, and then went on the top of the knoll and filmed some more. And he was a worker at the Postal Annex building, but he says he saw Oswald get into a gray-colored Nash Rambler with a black driver as well. Yeah. So there's a corroboration for Oswald leaving this way, not just from Roger Craig, and but again, who knows for sure?
for sure, for sure, for sure. And if it's um, not Oswald, what's he doing coming out of the building? Right. You know, if it's yeah. one of the Cubans that happens to look like Oswald, in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. How 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 is he? What what's he doing in that building? Exactly. All right. The emailer goes on to say, it's my theory that whoever was in charge of planning the assassination was playing key players against each other, expertly controlling information flow to and flow to and between the conspirators. This has several key strengths. Firstly, it reduces the impact of leaks because people only know small details and only have knowledge of their actions. It also means that any investigation will be obfuscated as interrogating one person can only yield so much information. It also means you can recruit people to act on your behalf under different motives and explanations, which makes it even harder to join the dots retrospectively in an investigation as you need a large number of puzzle pieces before the picture makes sense. There are two examples of key players in the assignation which had knowledge of the assignation plot. But no obvious motive uh, for, for Tippett. He was clearly tasked with finding Oswald after the shooting, but was seemingly unaware he would be shot. What did he know about the assignation? Was his role to be a mock arrest or to smuggle Oswald out of state or to kill the fleeing murderer of the president or to arrest the fleeing murderer of the president? His motive is, is unclear. Uh, what leverage would the planners have over him in order for him to be a key part post-shooting? Well, let's address that a little bit. Um, you know, Tippett was no saint, no angel. A lot of these uh, Dallas police guys weren't back then. You know, the working side jobs, um, having mistresses, I think, you know, uh, accused that uh, Tippett had a mistress and Johnny Max, Max, Maxwell Witherspoon um, and may have even gotten her pregnant um, at the time. So who knows what kind of leverage they had over this guy? Um, there was an allegation you know, that, uh, that Tippett was involved in some kind of narcotics. Right. Yeah. There was, uh, that, was that, that was brought up. That was, of stuff. that was a brought up during, uh, during chief Curry's, uh, uh, testimony. They asked him. They said, "Did you did you know that uh, that Tippett was involved in some kind of narcotics, uh, illegal narcotics?" And then Curry said, "I didn't know anything about it." And so there there was that allegation that uh, Tippett was involved in some kind of narcotics. And who was doing narcotics at the time? The CIA. CIA was bringing narcotics into the country, mm -hmm. uh, and they were involved in uh, mind control and other things that they were doing. So they were deep into drugs, the CIA. So who's to say that Tippett, Tippett's killer was Oswald? Because when they, they finally got uh, uh, that banana head, what's his name, Ted Calloway, when they got him on the stand uh, during that, uh, remember that farcical Lee Harvey Oswald on trial thing? Uh, they did with Bugliosi yeah. and Gary Spence. Well, oh, when yeah. Spence got him, on, Spence got him on the stand. He asked him. He showed him a picture of Billy Lovelady on the steps of the Texas School Book Depository and said to him, "Do you recognize that man?" And he said vaguely, faintly, "That was his answer." He says, "Uh, who, who is that?" And he said, "It's a resemblance of Lee Harvey Oswald." So I said, "Well, there he is. He's identifying Billy Lovelady as Lee Harvey Oswald." All right. 
And then people are saying, no, he said it was a resemblance of Lee Harvey Oswald. Well, he also said that he vaguely and faintly remembered him. Who was he talking about if he wasn't talking about Oswald? And so I got the crickets. You know what I mean? The crickets uh, routine. But they didn't. Yeah. They couldn't answer that. So here's Callaway's story that he has five gunshot wounds. Uh, gunshot wounds. Gunshots. He comes out of his office in the, in the, in the car lot, comes out to the, to the sidewalk. He sees a man with a gun reloading the gun, coming down the street, and he decides, unarmed, that he's going to confront him. He's going to challenge him. Hey, man, what's going on? You know? Now, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a coward, but if I see a guy, and I'm, an, I'm armed, I see a guy coming down the street with a gun, I'm ducking out of sight. I don't want this guy to see that I saw him, that I can identify him. I'm not going to confront him. I mean, this Callaway must have balls of steel or something, because or no brains, one <laughs> or the other. Because nobody's going to do something like that, but that's his story. But then he gets up to the to the after the guy goes by, he tells one of his workers on, at the car lot, "Follow that man." The guy says, "Hell no, he's got a gun. I'm not following him. Are you crazy?" So he goes up to where the, he heard the gunshots fired, and comes to the, the murder scene, the Tippett murder scene. He asks Domingo Benavides, who's his mechanic from that lot, happened to be there. He asked him, which way did he go? Well, if you just confronted the guy on Patton Ave, why are you asking him which way he went? And I don't think he ever did see the guy. I think he did exactly what I would have done. He ducked behind the cars and stayed there until the guy was out of sight. But his his story is hardly believable. And plus him and the other guy, the the, the lot porter there, Sam Ginyard, when they testified, they gave – they, they give their story as which side of the street the guy came down. They had him on different sides of the street. They didn't agree on which side of the street he was on. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you verify what e- either one of them is saying when they don't match? So I think they were There's both There's so many hiding. problems with those tippet witnesses. My I, God. I, oh, yeah. And, and, and Helen Markham, the one who positively identified Oswald, right? They get her in a lineup with two detectives and a police, uh, a police uh, clerk, and Oswald. So Oswald's handcuffed between number one and number three. Oswald's number two. He's handcuffed between the two detectives. One detective's wearing a brown suit jacket and is 34 years old. He doesn't match the tippet killer. The other detective is blonde with a white uh, short sleeve shirt and a red vest. He does, certainly doesn't match the description of the Tippett killer. And the last guy, the police clerk, is wearing a gray woolen sweater. He certainly doesn't match the the description of the Tippett killer. So who are they going to pick? They're going to pick the guy that's battered and bruised and it's handcuffed between the two detectives. That's who they're going to pick. And even then, she hesitated because they had kept asking her which one, which one, she said. And she testified that she had never seen any of the four before in her life. Even be, at the Tippett murder, she never seen any of them before. So she picked a guy that she had never seen before, and she knew he wasn't the killer. But she had to pick somebody, so she picked him. That was their positive identification of Oswald from Helen Markham. And Helen Markham was all over the place. She yeah, said the, the number two the killer, man. Yes, the killer had gray pants, and Oswald was wearing black pants. They, they, you know, she was all over the place. And her son even said she lies even to her son. She can't even to her own family. She lies. She can't be dependent on anything. Anything she says is you take with a huge grain of salt. Because it, she just she told all kinds of uh, lies. She what she say she went over to Tippett and she tried to revive him or something, or he tried to he said something to her before he died or something, and he was 
according yeah, to the autopsy. Talked to him for, dead. what, 10 minutes or something? Yeah. I mean, the ambulance was there in two, but she talked to him for 10. So, uh, you know, a lot of things she said that just, she wasn't a very reliable witness. Neither was Calloway. Yeah. All right, George. That's about half of your email we got through, but for the sake of time, we're gonna we're gonna move on. Thanks, George. Um, we, we appreciate that, a lot buddy. Of stuff. Yep. Thank you, George. Thank from you very much, sir. Pond. All right. Next up, we have an email from Bob's Taint. Bob's Taint. Bob's Taint. Bob. If I'm saying that correctly. Yes, Bob the Taint. Bob's taint. Easy for you to say. Yeah. It says, yo, the Kennedy family seems like a lot of them don't back RFK Jr. or his views on the assassinations. What do you think the deal is there? Wouldn't it be better if they supported him? Why aren't they interested to dig into the shenanigans that went on? Sincerely, BZ. Well, Bob... Well, Bob. RFK Jr. has certainly said a lot here uh, in the past couple months regarding the assassination, not only of his uncle uh, and his father. Um, and it's something we've probably been wanting to hear from him for a very long time. And the rest of the Kennedy family, I think, has chosen to remain publicly silent about the matter for the part um because it is such a personal thing for them um and i think rfk jr coming out and saying a lot of what he said you know blaming the cia for the for the murder of his uncle and and father is 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 pretty big deal um you know it kind of puts a target on his back and you know he's running for president um yeah and they not, won't give they won't it's give not just any... these couple conference yeah go ahead they, they won't give him any Secret Service protection either. Imagine that. Right. Do our, imagine now, my question. To the White imagine, House. Imagine that. They, they won't yeah. give this guy any Secret Service now, but protection. Now, here's the thing. Do, do What about Nikki, like people like Nikki Haley, Biden, Chris Christie? Do they have Secret Service protection yet? Uh, that I don't know. But I think under the circumstances with the assassinations in his family and stuff, I think it's certainly warranted. Yeah, well, ultimately, it's Biden's call whether or not. To, yeah, yeah, it is, and and I think that if you're going to give it to uh, anybody, protection. If you're going to give it to anybody, you should give it to yeah. RFK Jr. Right. I mean, it's his fellow Democrat whose entire family has been, you know, uh, taken out before. So uh, it just seems like the decent thing to do, but. You know, apparently he's not definitely not getting it. So you guys think that maybe RFK Jr., knowing what we know about the Secret Service in the past, um, may do better just to hire his own security. Like maybe they're a little more trustworthy. You know? Well, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I he's don't think so. I don't think so. Pretty caught uh, that guy a couple weeks ago uh, with the the false security credentials trying to get into one of his rallies. Yeah. Um, you know, that was all his his security people. So. Well, yeah, I mean he's got the money. If he if he's got if he's got good security people, it didn't help his father in uh, in Los Angeles. True, true, but I think uh, back then it was a little easier to maybe impersonate a security guard or a cop 
and get close and get into places. Um, nowadays, I mean, as strict and, and as all the security stuff is, definitely a little harder um, with facial recognition software and, and all this stuff, metal detectors, x-ray crap. Um, but yeah, I, if he's smart, he's he's going to have himself a crack, a crack team. I know I would at all times. All right, next up, we have an email from Matt L.A. Dodgers. And uh, JFK assassination witness breaks his silence and raises new questions. The New York Times, he sent us this article about Paul Landis, uh, which we already addressed <laughs> on the show. But thank you, Matt, for sending it. Uh, we may, uh, We might have missed it, but we didn't. But thank you. Thanks, buddy. All right, next. Uh, from Larry Gibbons. Uh, I, I just saw this on YouTube and thought you might find it interesting. It shows some pictures of dark-complected man using a radio, which I haven't seen before, and some potential movement of the fence on the triple overpass grassy knoll area next to the storm drain. Could these be the storm drains which Garrison talks about during a radio interview before trial? It would be great if you could discuss this on your show and let everyone know your thoughts on the matter. Keep up the great work. Kind regards, Larry Gibbons. Now, Larry, we talked a little bit about the dark-complected man already and his use of a radio. Um, and we, we Gil actually touched on the storm drain theory. Now, I know you're talking about the ones on the street, Gil, but also up behind the fence, there's another entrance into the storm drain system. Right. Um, where you take these two grates that are side by side, you can take those off, which led down to a tunnel, which actually exited uh, the front side of the overpass concrete. That hole, that's this drainage pipe, has since been covered up, patched, mm. as in non-existent anymore. But it was there in 1963. Um, so that's interesting. Um, but I, I believe when I was there, the 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 grates are still there behind the behind the uh, wooden fence. Um, but what do you think about that, Gil? Yeah. Yeah, it's a possibility. It's a possibility somebody could should be shooting from that direction. Yeah, because you're in front of the car, right? Yeah. You could be lying down in that storm drain with a rifle. Mm -hmm. You would have, you know, you you'd have good uh, cover. You wouldn't be seen, and you'd be laying down, uh, which would prevent a lot of movement on your rifle. You could prop it up or. or or put a rest or something under the barrel and be very accurate from that position. Um, yeah. And you could just chill in there until everybody went away and then, you know, come out and never, nobody would see you. Mm -hmm. So pretty interesting stuff. What do you think about that, Doug? Um, I agree. I agree with you, dude. 100%. All right. Next up, we have an email from Dr. Haywood Jablomi. We've heard from old oh, Haywood doctor. before, right? Yes, yes. Dr. Haywood Jablomi. Oh, he's a doctor. Right. Yeah, he's a doctor now. He must have he must have passed his uh 
his doctor says. Holy <laughs> shit. Wonder fuck. All right. <laughs> it says, hey, Rob. Uh, not much to do with the JFK assassination, but I thought with your sense of humor, you could get a kick out of the name of the president of Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> this guy's name, who is the president of the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe, otherwise known as PACE, on January the 4th, 24th, 2022, he was elected as president and his name is Tiny Cox. T I N Y K O X. Tiny Cox. And he and there's a picture of him. What? And he looks like he looks like a tiny cox. His name is sure. Tiny Cox. His name is Tiny Cox. <laughs> yeah, no, only in Europe. Only in Europe. Yeah. Thank you, Europeans. Damn, he, says, <laughs> he said it could be related to Jack Ruby, though. He would just eat him and stuff like this here. <laughs> Best doctor, hey, would you blow me? All right. Fuck Thank Jack you, doctor. Ruby, dirty bastard. Yeah, 100%. Thank you for the <laughs> informative email, buddy. Appreciate that. All right. I last think. up, this last email, fellas. <clears throat> ah. From our old buddy, Tony Fredianelli, former guitarist. Third Eye Blind, Doug's favorite band. All right. God damn it. Go ahead, Rob. He says, <laughs> he says, I do appreciate the work you're doing out there. You all seem to be the most active, and this subject is super important to me. I just wanted to tell you, regardless of various disagreements, that's the problem with the community itself. Too much silly infighting no one has the full answers i don't care who they are even garrison who i admire the most i'm sure on many fronts from from fact subsequently released he would not hold ridiculously onto ideas that facts outgrew uh, okay uh to me far more important than all the minutiae is that how you spell minutia? Is what the assassination meant to our form of government, and few people want to talk about that. If you want to get caught up in Daily Plaza, they want to get caught up in Cuba, to Oswald, go to Mexico, all this nonsense misdirection. Anyway, I just wanted to give you some words of support. Thank you. Cheers, Tony. Oh. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. We think yes. Thank you very much. Yes. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And keep them coming. Everybody, yes. keep those emails coming, especially <laughs> uh, Hugh Janus and Tony. You guys, keep them coming. Yeah, and and the regulars and Jones Melons and Tim the Eugenicist Sweatpants and, yeah, uh, Bob's Taint, all the good stuff here. And and some of the more legitimate ones that you actually have a real question that we can answer and address for you here on the show. We would rather like than take, just making us laugh incessantly. And uh, we would like to take this opportunity to solicit more serious ones, if we could. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, we're going to get the opposite now, Doug. You know that, right? Well, that's you the way it works. Solicit legitimate emails. 
That's the way it works, Rob. <laughs> we don't have to like but if it. If you we... would like to have your email, folks, read and commented on this very show, we don't screen these things. We don't filter them out. Obviously. We don't read them ahead of time. <laughs> so you're getting our genuine live reactions when we read your emails here on the show. But if you'd like to send an email to us, do so at quickhits at gmail.com. That's quickhits at gmail.com. And we'll read your email right here on the show and comment about it. We may bust your balls. We may make fun of you. Uh, and we, but we may be sincerely appreciative of your efforts. Right. So, and uh, Rob, the best you know what parts of the them. show. What's that? Whether it's funny or whether it's not, one thing you need to know. Know what you're talking about before you spout off, please. That's all. That's all we're saying. Yes. And that's it for the emails, folks. That is it for the emails. Well, I guess, uh, man, we got to take this opportunity, Rob, before we close things out to thank our guest, Mr. Gil Jesus, for joining us. Thank you, Gil. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a lot of fun. Dude, you going to come back? Oh, absolutely. There you go. Well, there you go, Rob. He's going to come back down the road. And let's face it, that's basically all we can hope for when we have people on the show, right? I mean, if they'll say, sure, I'll come back, then it was a good experience, right? True. Yeah. Well, look, dude, we are yeah, right up. Gil's one of the good ones. He's he's one of my uh, he's one of my listeners' favorite favorite guests, um, and he's always a, has a wealth of knowledge. And so, Gil, real quick, tell everybody where they can find more of you and your stuff. Uh, on my website, uh, gil jesus j e s u s dot com. Uh, the website is called Was Lee Harvey Oswald Really Guilty? And it's an examination of the evidence in the case against Oswald. So if you could go there, you can uh, take a look at some of my videos on YouTube. I have uh, two channels, JFK 63 Conspiracy is one. And just uh, do a search for Gil Jesus. Uh, and you can find my works all over uh, all over the Internet. Just uh, do a, if you do a web search for Gil Jesus JFK, um, all different words. And uh, you'll see some of the writings I have on there if you don't get the website. But the website should pop up. Yep, that's Gil with one L, Jesus like our Lord and Savior. Amen. And you will find him and all his stuff. Amen. That's it. <laughs> Thanks, Amen. Guys. Thank you, Gil. So, Rob, let's close this thing out. Tell us where we can find your stuff, buddy. There's the music. Thanks, Momo. Yep, you can find the Lone Gunman podcast uh, just about anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Also, uh, pay attention to the Lone Gunman podcast YouTube channel. If you are not, I would suggest that you do because something big is coming. And that's all I'll say for right now. So just pay attention. Go go give yourself a subscribe to the Lone Gunman podcast channel and uh, stay tuned for big things. And... Uh, me and my buddy Joe will be presenting at Lancer this year. We got a bunch of new info, exciting info, stuff you might want to hear. So you might want to tune into that as well. That's it for me, Doug. All right. And oh, by the way, regardless of what Rob keeps saying on the Lone Gunman podcast, I am not presenting at Lancer. I'm just hanging out. So, <laughs> and 
You can find, follow, download, and listen to my podcast, The Dallas Action, presented by Wall Street Window at Spreaker.com, Spotify, all over the web. Whatever your uh, mobile app of choice is, you can find it there, featuring quality, up-to-date, forward-moving, and forward-thinking research and analysis of the assassination of John F. Kennedy, like this show, another fine podcast from Drop D Podcast Productions in the heart of Music Row, Music City, USA. So, for Rob Clark, for Gil Jesus, and Momo Scaranucci, this is Doug Campbell saying, tune in again next time when we'll hear a fifth grade classmate of David Ferry say. You had, and, and I remember that dude, for 50 cents, he'd let you see his wiener. Or he would just show you his wiener for no money. We <laughs> are out. Peace.